This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 157. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Romiasha. And once again, it's time for our monthly news check-in. And boy, there is some big news happening, especially at the North American box office with Mugen Train finally making its theatrical debut. The train finally pulled into the station. And it definitely lived up to the hype. But we also got some, uh, you know, more of our monthly manga, how it's selling lists, and we got serialization updates and licensing things, industry stuff to talk about. There's some big industry stories in terms of things getting licensed and things getting out of licensing limbo. There's some cool new projects, movies coming up. There's a lot of cool stuff to talk on this episode. But of course, it's also that time again to talk about new Shonen Jump series. And we got two really new interesting ones. And for the first time in a while, we'll be having a guest on to talk about them with us, our good friend Sakaki. So definitely look forward to our discussion of Blue Blocks and Candy Flurry in the later part of this episode. Just a note here, Sakaki basically begged us to come on to talk about Candy Flurry in particular, and uh, we'll, we'll kind of get into more of that later. Mm-hmm. It is a rare occasion for Sakaki to be this enthusiastic about a jump series. And he liked Blue Box too, so I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation on them both. No, yeah, for sure. Uh, but before we get on to any of that, uh, we have yet again another patron shout out that we need to get to here. This time, we are going to be shouting out our newest patron, Stefan. So thank you, Stefan, so much for uh, supporting us over at our Patreon at patreon.com slash mavericks. We really appreciate your support, and it means the world to us. And uh, if you want a shout out like Stefan, basically, if you sign up for any tier on our Patreon, even for as low as a dollar, you can get a shout out on the podcast, basically... Uh, the next time we have to record a podcast after you become a patron. Uh, so there's that. Again, I can't, I really can't thank all of our patrons enough for their support. It really means the world to us. And it really, it really helps us with everything we do here on the show, keeping the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so once again, thank you, Stefan. And again, if you want a patron shout out, just like with Stefan, again, that's at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Uh, we're, You won't only just get a shout out, you'll get a bunch of bonus content, uh, as well as early access to uh, select podcasts that we have edited before they have to go up on our main feed. But I'll save the Patreon spiel for the end of the show, like always. Uh, For now, we should get on to news, and we are going to start with our usual lists or whatnot, uh, starting with the New York Times list for graphic books and manga uh, for April 2021, and you know, like usual, not like a ton of manga to go through here, um, but, you know, a few interesting things here, but it's just to start off with from the bottom going up, at number 14 on the list, we have My Hero Academia Volume 2, along with Volume 1, ranking at number 12. You know, these two volumes are basically always on the list at this point. Uh, along with Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Volume 1 at number 11, uh, once again, another kind of mainstay of this list. Uh, along with the newest thing on the list, and um, probably the hottest thing selling over the past month, is uh, Chainsaw Man Volume 1 from Tatsuki Fujimoto at number 8, cracking the top 10. As we'll talk about in a little bit, Chainsaw Man has really been like, uh, I don't know, revving things up. Chainsaw pun. I had something better there. Uh, the Chainsaw Man is doing really good is what I'm trying to say. 
Mm-hmm. And certainly cutting down the competition. Yes, Chainsaw Man, very surprisingly, has gotten a big swing in terms of its sales, especially this first volume, as the book scan list corroborates. So very, very interesting that it's doing so even ahead of the anime, even with other franchises having like currently airing animations and hype around them like Chainsaw Man a lot of buzz between just comics only readers so very very interesting very curious to see how these sales will continue to grow with future volumes and as we approach the anime coming out mm-hmm. but um we might as well just get on to the monthly book scan list for March and um there is so much manga on this list um more than I think we're used to normally it's just there's so much to talk about here, and I guess we might as well just uh, start off with the number one here, Chainsaw Man Volume One. You know, l- like you just said, like this is this is monumentous for Chainsaw Man in particular because it do- the anime's coming, but it's not out yet, so it's just it's just kind of amazing to see like how well it's doing right now. When Chainsaw Man first debuted, Jump. You know, obviously we both really liked that first chapter, but I don't know if either of us could have really like foreseen like how well it's doing right now you never can tell these things i mean the sales just with demons there we could never predicted that explode in the way that it has similarly chainsaw man you know we never could have thought it'd be as big and as beloved as it is right now so yeah it is surprising but it's a pleasant surprise to see these theories thrive no yeah for sure um also, uh, Volume 3 of Chainsaw Man is all the way down to the list at number 16. Um, I would not be surprised if, moving forward, we will see Chainsaw Man at least once a month on this list. I think it could happen. Yes, I think it's a good bet. Um, but moving on to the other kind of mainstay on this list, um, obviously, I mean, it's still probably the biggest thing on this list, but again, there's there's so much manga on this list here that it's kind of refreshing to see that... Uh, you know, it's not just My Hero Academia dominating the list, but as far as My Hero Academia goes, we have uh, Volume 1 ranking at number 2, with Volume 2 ranking at number 3, Volume 26 ranking at number 7, with Volume 3 ranking at number 8, and Volume 24 ranking at number 17, along with Volume 4 ranking at number 20. I'm pretty sure I got every volume there. But yeah, about, I think that was six volumes of My Hero Academia. Yeah. Yes. All right. Yeah. Six volumes. Um, I don't think it's the lowest amount of My Hero Academia volumes we've had on this list. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure we've had like less on this list before. It's still a healthy thirty percent of this list. No. Yeah. For sure. But I. Again, I do think it says a lot about you know where manga is at right now, especially in North America, where even the biggest selling manga right now in North America, while it still has a good chunk of this list, you know. It's not half the list. No, it's not time. half the list. Yeah, we're... <laughs> it's only a third of the list this time. <laughs> it's only a third. Um, but yeah, uh, just to kind of move on, uh, we have Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba Volume 1, ranking at uh, number 4, with uh, Volume 2, ranking at number 11, uh, Volume 3, ranking at number 13, and yeah, that's about it. I, me- I meant to count some of these ahead of time, and I just forgot. I apologize. Um, but yeah, that's about vo- three volumes of Demon Slayer on this list, obviously right now, as I'm sure we'll talk about later in the show, um, Demon Slayer Fever is here. It's it's back again with the release of Mugen Train. Um, it's doing very well. Again, we'll go over all that later, but I'm I'm assuming uh, I'm I'm sure Demon Slayer is probably it could do even better 
uh, moving forward. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll just have to see. Mm-hmm. I think there's still a lot of enthusiasm for Demon Slayer, and I wouldn't be surprised that the movie spurs even more interest in the manga. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine that after Mugen Train is or I, either after it's like out of theaters or like after a, a good amount of people have seen it that like we'll probably see volumes from the manga past that point specifically land on this list i could see that happening uh but moving on we have uh volume one of attack on titan at number five and i believe that is the only volume of titan on this list but still attack on titan a lot of people are still getting into it after all these years um, and I mean, ranking at number five on the list out of 20, you know, that's, that's still pretty good, but also I guess it's to be ex- expected for Attack on Titan. It's still very popular. Yeah. The first half of the final season just ended. People are very enthusiastic about Titan still. The series just ended. It's in the conversation. Like people are interested in it. They are reading it. They're picking it up. Mm-hmm. Next up, we have Toilet Bound Hanako-kun Volume 1, ranking at number 6, with Volume 2 ranking at number 19. I think it's very clear to say at this point that, um, I think, uh, Toilet Bound Hanako-kun is Yen Press, right? Yes, this is definitely one of Yen's biggest hits. Like, this is finally their answer to having, like, a big Shonen series that sells on the level of the Shonen Jump stuff from this. And it's so great to see Hanako-kun doing well, because it's a great series, it's great to see another publisher have such a big series that is doing these kind of numbers and moving these kind of copies. I think it's great. And yeah, I'm glad people are just appreciating the series because it is super great. And I, I really feel like with the success of the series, like post its first season of the anime, both here and in Japan, like they really got to make it a second season of that show. Because there's clearly the interest there. The audience is only growing. People are just more and more interested in picking it up. Like, yeah, like it's doing really well. Mm-hmm, for sure. Uh, next up, we have The Promised Neverland Volume 1, ranking at number 9, along with Volume 2, ranking at number 18. Um, again, same here. Like, I-, I can only assume with all the talk of the anime that p- it's getting people interested in the manga. Right. As we kind of jokingly mentioned if anything the second (laughs) season did right it's that it encouraged people to check out the manga for a better version of the story um next up we have haiku volume one ranking at number 10 on the list and i believe that is the only volume of haiku on this list but again like it it feels like every month there are just more people getting into haiku which is pretty cool especially for a sports series oh yes Next up, we have Spy Family Volume 4, ranking at number 12 on the list. And I believe that's the only volume of Spy Family. And I believe this is the newest volume. Yeah, it's the Bond volume. Ooh. Um, Spy Family, again, one of those titles that we don't see on the list, like, you know, every month, obviously. But, you know, it it's at least guaranteed for, like, I would say every other month, every couple of months, you know, it's not as popular as everything else on this list, but it's, it still has, I, I would say, like, pretty healthy success. Yeah, no, Spy Family is a hit. It's definitely, like, selling very, very well. So, yeah, we are seeing these new volumes chart. So, yeah, like, doing really well. Especially for a series without anime again. Like, like Chainsaw Man, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, number 14 on this list is really interesting because we have the first volume, I believe, of solo leveling which is a uh 
a Korean webcomic uh, that uh, Yen Press has licensed and released, and it, I believe is also like publishing the web novel version of that. I've heard so many good things about solo leveling. Um, my a little anecdote here: my my roommate in particular just got into solo leveling and has been like talking to me about it forever and ever, which makes me feel like I I should probably get into it at some point. I've heard a lot of good things even before like it was licensed. Like I I would see like people talk about it all over the internet, like you know ads for it and and everything or whatever. And I don't know. I've just I've just heard nothing but good things about it, and I I feel like I should check it out at some point. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of buzz, so I am curious to check it out as well. Like, for real, I would not be surprised if, like, you know, w- one of these big streaming services, like, like, like if, like if Crunchyroll or Netflix were looking into, like, doing their own, like, animated version of this or something sometime down the line. I could see it happening. But I believe the last thing we have to talk about on this list is uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Volume 1, ranking at number 15. Uh, again, Jujutsu Kaisen, not as many volumes on this list in particular right now, but Jujutsu Kaisen, I think, is probably guaranteed at least one spot on this list every month for, 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 for the next couple of months at least. Yes, it was a big hit, the anime, so that's definitely got a lot of people into the manga. I think we're going to see sustained success in sales for it. Mm-hmm. But um, I th- believe that's about everything on this list. Again, uh, a-, a lot of really big, heavy hitters. Yeah. I mean, not to bury the lead, but this list was basically all manga this month with one manhwa in there. Like, it's all foreign comics. Like, that really tells you about how incredibly important and the huge market share manga has in the north american comics market right now oh and yeah that should go to tell you yeah manga is a big deal they are a big driving part of sales in the north american comics industry and a lot of people are reading manga titles especially the big mainstream shonen deadpools like yeah uh, manga doing extremely extremely well like we've had constant reinforcements and firsthand like anecdotes that this has been doing well but just looking at these lists like yes undoubtedly like manga is outselling practically all these other north american comics particularly like we were just focusing on adult graphic novels like yeah manga doing super well Mm-hmm. It, it is quite amazing. This is, I feel like this is probably the most manga we've had on this list. I mean, maybe there was another time and I just can't remember. But so suffice to say, like when we cover these book scan lists, there's, there's not usually like this much manga on this list. Yeah, it's never really a common occurrence to see manga be the entirety of the top 20. Like, again, that shows to show manga's dominance in the market. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I guess with uh, our list news out of the way, we should move on to some serialization news, Lum, if you want to start us off. Yeah, we got a few serialization updates, including some series ending. One series that I really enjoy and I talked about on our Best of Manga, which is Printing Office, that has ended. And it basically has wrapped up with about six volumes 
So Yen has released four so far, and so probably those last two items will be coming out shortly. I'm definitely looking forward to reading through the series to its end. And I really enjoyed every one. It grew on me with every one to the point that when I was reflecting on my favorite manga I read the, of the year, I was like, man, I really like what you're spinning off this. I had a great time with the series and its reimagining of otaku culture in this fantasy world and also looking at how you would go about book selling, printing books in the fantasy world. Like, it's a really fun series. I, it's a good satire, great comedy. Uh, definitely check it out. But also, in terms of other, like, fantasy series ending, uh, Isle of an Outcast has ended. This was a Shonen Sunday series that Seven Seas is licensed for release in June. This is just notable because it was a, you know, weekly Shonen Sunday series that had just recently been licensed. So it's just coincidental that it's ended before the manga's debut over here in North America. This is definitely a series that I'm interested in, though, from discussion on. I'm curious to see what our good friends at Sinanakshagi will have to say when they cover the series. But definitely worth noting that, yeah, it is a done series, and it's going to be about eight volumes in all. So if you're looking for a new Shonen Sunday series to collect, but are wary of collecting a super long series, take heart that this is only about eight volumes. Next, it seems uh, that No Gun's Life, another very popular long-running series, is going to end about its 13th volume. We know that the next one is going to be its final one. No Gun's Life is a series that I know V-Lord really likes and has enjoyed reading. So definitely it's encouraged me to want to check it out. So yeah, I'm curious to see how this series will end. Yeah, it's it's a series where it's I'm I'm kind of surprised I haven't gotten to it yet because it's 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 about a guy with a gun for a head. I feel like I should have... I feel like I should have read this already. <laughs> it seems like a perfect companion piece to Chainsaw Man. I'm surprised there hasn't been a crossover. Oh my god, that would be amazing. I need this so bad. I mean, especially since the looming trend in Chainsaw Man was the gun devil. Like, I feel like the crossover writes itself. Chainsaw Man versus this protagonist in No Gun's Life who has a little gun for a head. No Chainsaw's Life. Be so good. Another series nearing its end soon is Saint Seiya Saint to Show. It's been running for a long time since he's been releasing it. I've been enjoying it. I enjoy that this is a shoujo take on Saint Seiya with female protagonists. I really appreciate that considering the original work has a very few female characters in fighting roles. So just having like an all woman team in the series is pretty fun. And yeah, it's a good story and a good spinoff. I'm definitely looking forward to see it through to its end. Mm-hmm. I'm very excited to check this out when we eventually uh, finish our Saint Seiya read-through on our Patreon. Mm-hmm. And returning to the subject of Shonen Sunday series, Yuwataze is resuming their manga, Around the Legend, in mid-May, on May 19th. And the series will resume with new chapters on July 7th. So it's worth noting that the resumption in May is going to be, like, chapters from the remastered edition of the manga, the 13th volume, the last volume of that edition. Like, there were some new chapters in that. So they're going to be re published in Shonen Sunday first before new new chapters never before published are going to be debuting on July 7th. There was a little confusion originally when this news came out because people were thinking, oh, is there going to be... Because the way it was reported by secondhand sources originally was like a new work from Watase was going to start in Shonen Sunday in July. That's not the case. What's happening is that new chapters of Arata are starting on July 7th. So, yes, 
Rada legend returning after uh, about a six-year hiatus. So it's good to see the series return. Hopefully, Ratatsu can see it's true to its conclusion. And yeah, I like. I am interested in reading more Ratatsu work, particularly the series. You know, I'm a big fan of Sarah's, and I really enjoy what I read of Fushigiri. So definitely curious to check it out once it is all done. And then a final thing to just mention that I thought was neat was that Go Nagai is drawing like a new chapter of Osama Tezuka's Barbara. I have a special fondness for Barbara because this is one of my first adult Tezuka manga I read back when I was getting into his stuff. So it was a really compelling, interesting story. It has more of a psychological bent to it. And yeah, I'm curious to see Nagai's take on it, because the senses of depravity and just this disillusionment with reality, I think that's totally Nagai's wheelhouse to kind of play off of, as well as, you know, just kind of like the extremity of some of the content in terms of like, you know, adult content, violent sexuality and stuff like that. So yeah, I think Hezka, as reimagined by Nagai, like this is definitely a perfect series for it. I'm super curious, uh... To see how it turns out. I mean, I, I don't know if we'll ever get a tr- official translation of this, but I would love to read it if it ever does. Like, I, I think these are two great tastes that go really well together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds really interesting. Uh, I mean, in, in general, I, I'm just excited for like actual new, like manga from Go Nagai. That's pretty exciting. Mm-hmm. And that's about it for serialization stuff. I you know I guess to mention the Barbara chapter the guy is writing that's going to be published in Shogakukan's big comic on May 10th. So hey, that's a shoggy thing. You know what? I'm gonna petition our good friends Saturday and Shoggy to cover this. I would like to see like if they can read it and what they think of it. But I I guess I don't know if they have read Barbara, but. You know, I I would be very curious to see what this turns out to be. But yeah, that's about it for our serialization updates. We can get into some licensing stuff, which uh, includes a few serialization things or, you know, somewhat tangentially related. The first being that there was a Ubisoft and Shonen Jump collaboration for Jump Plus and Manga Plus. There was like a Ubi... I X Jump Plus Manga Award, and there are basically like five winners, five like works that were submitted to this that uh, won accolades or and won prizes, and these were all translated and published on Manga Plus, so you can check those out. And we won't really be covering them or going in depth on them, at least not at this time, just because I mean I don't think. Either of us are super familiar with Ubisoft's games like Assassin's Creed, Watch Dogs, Division Far Cry. Those are all the source material for these one shots, and I am not very familiar with those. I don't, I have not played those games. I will say that I did think the Happy Vast Day uh, one shot that reimagines like the origin story of the villain from I think Far Cry. Yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. I thought that was a cool like villain origin story thing, but uh. Yeah, I, overall, like, yeah, I think these are stories probably best appreciated by those who are familiar with the original games. 
So if we do ever get someone, invite someone on who has like a big familiarity with these games and talk about them with them, uh, yeah, I think that could be a thing. But for now, we'll just leave them be as like, hey, if you enjoy these franchises, if you enjoy Ubisoft games, or want to see like manga takes on them, these are some pretty cool um, manga reimaginings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just speaking for myself, like... I don't even really play a lot of video games just in general. Like, I I am the kind of guy where my PlayStation 4 is basically just an expensive streaming box. That's basically what it is. Um, (laughs) But I mean, I don't know. Like, this is one of those things, I think, where, like, you know, like you said, like, we could have covered these. But again, these I think these are better appreciated by people who are more familiar with, like, the source material these are, like, drawing from. Um, I mean, I don't know if... I guess I'll just put it out there. If if people want us to cover these, like, you know, l- let us know. You know, either tweet at us at manga underscore mavericks or email us at manga mavericks at gmail.com. If, if you really, really are desperately wanting us to, like, cover these, you know, let us know. Maybe we'll find the time for them. It's it's kind of up in the air. But, yeah, for now, we're, we're just going to leave links to these in the show notes for people who want to read them because they are out there. And, hey, it's it's more new stuff on manga plus so you know that that's always nice to see yeah it's always great to have some more cool stuff to read but just to move on to our next piece of news here so this is really exciting because uh takahiko in no way's real manga uh a manga about wheelchair basketball is now going to be available digitally volumes 1 through 14 uh basically wherever you wherever you buy digital comics but by, by the time this episode's out that'll be available um, and this is really exciting, not not just because, like, you know, uh, back in the day, I read the first volume of Real, and I thought it was very, very good, and I, I really should, like, get to the rest of it. Um, but this is also exciting, I think, because, you know, Inoue is one of those artists who doesn't really allow their work to be digitally published or whatever. And so, you know, like, stuff like Slam Dunk and Vagabond, I don't think, are available digitally. But now this is so... I'm wondering if maybe there's a small chance that one day maybe we could get digital volumes of, you know, his other works. I don't know how likely that is. I don't want to, like, assume anything. But hopefully there's a small chance of that being a reality now. Yeah, I think this is a good step towards that. So hopefully, yes, Slam Dunk and Wagamon are going to follow suit. But yeah, I think it's great that Real is now available and accessible digitally. It is a fantastic series. I really wish that Inoue would return to it. And, you know, it's been a, quite a while since the last volume. Last volume was pretty great because it was basically the entire volume devoted to a wrestling match. But, like, yeah, I mean, you know, I would like to see the story continue and return to our main characters and wrap up their stories. So, uh, yeah, hopefully that will happen one day. But in the meantime, I think it's definitely a series that everyone should check out. And so now that it's available digitally, I think, yeah, you have like a great opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. But moving on to our next bit of uh, actual licensing news. So this is really exciting. So uh, Marvel and Viz are going to basically be teaming up to bring over some actual Marvel manga. Uh, For those who don't know, uh, Shonen Jump and Marvel in particular have been like, you know, d- doing a lot of like a crossover stuff. Uh, they've been getting you know a jump artists to like uh, either do their own like Marvel stuff, or you know, we also have stuff like uh, Deadpool Samurai, which uh, we have mentioned on this podcast before. Um, so 
uh, specifically, you know, stuff like that and uh, Kazuki Takahashi's uh, Secret Reverse, as well as uh, another Marvel manga title called Marvel Meow, which is basically about Captain Marvel's cat, from what I assume is, like, gonna be a story uh, about basically everything that happens in the Marvel world, like, through the POV of the cat, which is kind of interesting, I think. Um, basically, all of these are going to be coming out in English, basically within, like, the next year. I'm very excited for Deadpool Samurai in particular, because, uh, and I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast, but, uh, lately, Deadpool Samurai has been interesting in particular, because there have been, uh, chapters recently where, uh, Deadpool is fighting Thanos, and, uh, who, who, who else shows up but All Might to team up with Deadpool to fight Thanos? It's one of the coolest things I've ever seen. <laughs> I am here for a crossover! <laughs> yes, I am definitely excited that that is going to be officially licensed, translated. I'm disappointed only that we're not getting a simulpup for Deadpool's Hammer, but maybe it just doesn't have much longer to run anyway. But yeah, I'm glad that it's been licensed and that it'll be published next year. Like, I'm curious and excited to read it. It'll be a lot of fun, I think. I enjoy Deadpool. I enjoy seeing crossovers so I think this is really fun to see, like, you know, a crossover between the Marvel Universe and the MHA Universe. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, we, we, we don't know, like, how the licensing for this went down. But I, I have to imagine, like, if the licensing of that manga in particular wasn't already happening behind the scenes, I have to imagine, like, the appearance of All Might or really any MHA character was probably, like, the thing that, like, clinched the deal, like, okay, we gotta put this out in English, All Might's in it, or whatever. Yeah, maybe. But again, we don't really know that for sure, that's just kind of my theory, but, um, but, yeah, I, I mean, also, like, more stuff from Kazuki Takahashi is really cool, too, like, I've, I've actually kind of flipped through a little bit of Secret Reverse, and it's, it's really cool, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty, it's, like, in full color, and it's a comic starring Tony Stark and Spider-Man, and I think they have to play like a card game against a bad guy. It's really, it's really cool stuff. I really enjoy it. And I'm really glad that that's getting an English release too. I mean, it, it doesn't completely make up for it, but it's at least some kind of consolation for not having like the comic available in like an actual English release. Still don't understand why. Like you've done it all, just publish it. But I don't regardless, know. I'm looking forward to another Kazuki Takashi work finally being published. In print. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I think it's a pretty big deal that, like, we're actually getting, like, the, uh, these Marvel manga titles. Like, I don't think we... We don't really normally get, like, a lot of these kinds of things. So I'm, I'm hoping in the future we get more of this kinds of stuff. I know that there's a particular, like, Spider-Man title that I... I think got canceled. I don't know that for sure, but I think its run got, like, prematurely cut called uh, Spider-Man Fake Red. I don't exactly know what it's about, but, like, I've seen, like, art from that comic in particular, and it looked really cool, and I really want to read it. Um, so maybe we'll hopefully get things like that. I don't know. It, maybe that's under a different publisher. I'm not sure. But I'm, I'm hoping we get more Marvel manga stuff, because, like, the titles I've seen around, like, online look legitimately really cool, and I would I would love to read those. Mm-hmm. All right, but just to move on to some other licensing stuff, uh, we're going to talk about some Yen Press licenses, uh, in which uh, Yen Press has licensed uh, five new manga titles as well as four new light novel titles for this October. Um, so some of them sequels to other like uh, well-established uh, you know franchises, but also some new stuff too. 
And so I guess we'll start off with the first thing on the list here with uh, Reign of the Seven Spell Blades with the story written by Bokuto Uno with character designs by Rurira Miyuki and illustrated by Sakai Esuno. And um, basically from what I can gather from like the synopsis, uh, just, just to kind of boil it down, I guess, um, it looks like a magical school battle royale thing. Where it's like these characters enter high school, enter like magic high school, and they think things are going to be fine, and then I, th- I think it turns into like a big battle or something. That's what I'm getting from the synopsis, and I don't know. I, I think the uh, the cover for it actually looks pretty nice. Like again, it- it's it's hard to like know exactly what happens just from the synopsis alone, but like you know, it, it sounds like the kind of thing that could be fun. I think um, Yen Press was already releasing the light novels of these as well, so. You know, if you're already into the light novels and you want to read the manga version of it, you know, it's right there. Next up, we have The Detective is Already Dead, uh, with the story written by uh, Nigozu, uh, illustrated by Mukiko. Basically about uh, this guy who gets involved in a plane hijacking, and then he becomes, I guess from there, he becomes the assistant to this uh, this detective girl that he meets. And then uh, in the three years following that, um, they get involved in, like, some big, like, uh, big adventure mystery kind of thing. And uh, they basically both die, I guess. The the synopsis is a little confusing, but I think that's on purpose because they don't want to, like, they probably don't want to play their hand too soon. I don't think they both died. I think that the girl died and then he has to, like you know, move on from that, like, uncover grief. Maybe. Um, I I wasn't entirely sure, but again, I think it's one of those things where it's like, we don't know exactly what happens, and that's on purpose, obviously. Well, I mean, the synopsis says, the only survivor, me, and the detective, which is the girl's dying wish, are unfinished story. So it's like him having to deal with, like, you know, the grief of losing basically his partner mentor figure and then moving on for that maybe investigating her dad or something you know that but yeah that seems to be the case mm-hmm. um i mean regardless it, it does sound like it could be a really interesting story um again yen press is also license uh, has also licensed the light novels for these series and now the manga is coming out and then i guess just to kind of get to some of the more like established stuff which admittedly i don't like know a whole lot about but we are also getting is it wrong to try to pick up girls in a dungeon 2 uh the manga from uh fujino omori uh with character design by uh suzuhito yasuda and illustrated by taisei yamachi and um i've only seen the first few episodes of like the anime for this and i think that was like way back when it was like you know first being simulpubbed so I don't really know too much about uh, this series, like past the, past that point. Uh, all I know is I really liked the ending for that first season because it had the little toothbrush dance, and that was my favorite thing about this thing. Um, I don't know, Lum, are you familiar with this at all? Not super familiar with this franchise. I mean, I have a bunch of posters from it for cons. I like that gif of them doing the brushing their teeth and stuff you know it sounds from what i hear of it like a pretty good series like people actually quite enjoy it and the characters a lot so at some point i probably should check it out Mm -hmm. that's interesting because um when i first watched it i just kind of thought it was okay like it didn't really like grab me or whatever but 
I'm again. I'm, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's at least fine. Yeah, the title is misleading because it's not really about picking up girls at all. It's like you know, be befriends characters. But it makes, but it's like he's not like a flirt, and he, it's not really about like trying to hook up with women. It's, that's not the focus of the story. So it's like kind of a very awkward, misleading uh, translation of the title. There, it's it's not really the focus of the story. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think that was the thing that kind of threw me off at first. But yeah, ever since ever since I've kind of left it, it really feels like it feels like it, it started off kind of like like not too many people were watching it. But as like time goes on, I know like I feel like the series has like a pretty uh, dedicated fan base from what I've seen. And I, I, I know a lot of people like it. So there's that. Um Again, um, a- another franchise that I'm I'm not entirely familiar with, but like I'm sure if we had Marion on, they could talk a, a lot about it. Um, and yeah, probably know better than the both of us. I mean, I don't know. Have you read So I'm a Spy or So What? No, I have not read it. But yes, this is a series that Marion, huge fan of. We Lord enjoys it too. And yeah, this does sound like a great premise. Like, kind of like the protagonist of villainous like Kamoka, the main protagonist of spider has like kind of in her mind like money versus herself or like bicker and like argue about what is the best course of action for her to take it's kind of fun to see a spinoff about like those versions of herself in her mind yeah i mean again i'm mostly interested in the series because again marion talks about it so much and is a huge fan of it and honestly kind of makes me want to get into it at some point i would like to try it out at least yeah it it seems like a fun show but yeah so we didn't really even say the title so that's specifically so i'm a spider so what the daily lives of the kumiko sisters uh that is a manga that is going to be coming out so if you're already into so i'm a so i'm a spider so what uh you have that to look forward to and then I guess we'll get to some of the light novels here, starting with I kept pressing the 100 million button and came out on top uh, with the story written by uh, Shuichi Tsukishima with art by Mokyu. And uh, basically, the story is about our main character, who is a swordsman, but he's not very good at it. And, uh, you know, he, he loses a big duel and he's basically about to give up when a mysterious figure offers him the chance to get a 100 million years worth of training with the press of a button. But what happens when he presses it over and over again? <laughs> this uh, this sounds like it could be really amazing, actually. Like, th- this sounds like the kind of thing that I think, like, I, I can't tell if this is like a comedic premise or not, but I think regardless, like... Th- th- this sounds like the kind of thing that could be like really, really enjoyable. Like I, I like the idea of like a comedically overpowered protagonist. Just yeah, you know, it's it, it's it just sounds pretty fun. Yeah, it's another take on that in Nisekai genre of an overpowered protagonist. The title is pretty amusing. Uh, next up, we have the Otherworlder exploring the dungeon, uh, written by Asami Hinagi with uh, art by Kureta. And um, th- th- this sounds a little more typical isekai stuff where basically our main character gets into an accident and they're sent to a parallel world and they're on a quest to explore an uncharted land and he meets a bunch of different characters like the so-called god of deception and secret- uh, secrecy uh, and a pair of elf twins or elf sisters, I should say, banished from their forest home. And uh, basically their, av- their adventure kind of goes on from there. Uh, constantly losing battles and uh, beating up petty nobles, exploring dungeons, stuff like that. So 
This sounds a little more typical, but I mean, maybe that's just from the synopsis. I don't know. I'd have to read it myself to see, but um, it, it could be good. I don't know. I don't really have much else to say on this one. Uh, next up, we have Orc Eroika from uh, Refug- uh, Refugian Maganote. An art by Asanage. I think that's like probably the most notable thing because Asanage is like big uh, name in like the hentai scene. Very known for their ah. Ahego art and doujins. That explains a lot with this premise because basically it is about a guy who is a hero for downing countless foes in the War of the Twelve Tribes. Uh, he commands great respect from his fellow orcs. But this hero's dark secret is that uh, his success on the battlefield doesn't match up to his success in the bedroom. And so uh, this series seems to be all about getting this orc laid. <laughs> and um, yeah, see, I didn't have that context going in. So but that 100% makes sense. I'm not surprised in the least. Yeah, you can definitely tell it's Asanaga's art from their eyes. They're, the way they draw eyes is like super distinctive and faces in general. But, uh, yeah, not a great premise. Like, if this was just a hentai, you could just kind of dismiss it and bomb it with, like, eh, like, you know, I mean, Asanaki started writing this, but, you know, the content of this stuff is, like, very rapey and, like, uh, just super okay. about depravity. And, like, there can be an appeal in the catharsis of depravity, like, in some hentai, you could argue, like, I know that appeals to some people, but, uh, you know... I don't, I'm not really here for a story where it's like, you know, looking at this cover, it looks like this night girl is like bound, like this is uncomfortable, this doesn't seem like great, like, I don't know, you know, if this was just hentai, it would be fine, but like, no, I'm not really interested in the story if like it's going to go in this direction that I'm taking and I don't have a ton of confidence that will uh, betray those kind of misgivings given like the context that I know of from Asanagi's work. Mm. See, that that's a shame because this sounded like it could be like kind of funny just from the premise, maybe, but not now with that context, I don't know. Yeah, I mean the cover does not suggest a comedy. Like maybe again, maybe it'll betray those expectations. Maybe it'll play upon, hey, you kinda know what to expect from an Asanagi thing, but then going into this it's not what you expect. But I don't know. I would be very trepidatious. I would not recommend people check this out like for because there'd be serious content warnings uh for that kind of stuff yeah i don't necessarily want to like i don't i don't want to like judge people obviously who are into this obviously i'm you know that's not something i want to do but for me yeah this doesn't really sound like the kind of thing i i don't think either of us would be into personally no but just to kind of move on here real quick so next up we have the hero laughs while walking the path of vengeance a second time which is a light novel uh, written by Kizuka Nero, and it's basically about a guy who's summoned to a fantasy world as a hero. He defeats the Demon Lord alongside with his band of noble adventurers, only to be double-crossed and brutally murdered by his former allies. But then he's basically given a second chance at life, with all of his memories intact, and basically with that, he sets off to uh, kill everybody who uh, betrayed him. And I gotta be... I, this is another one of those things where, like... Maybe this will betray expectations, I don't know, but I'm really mixed on stuff like this, because honestly, just from the premise, this sounds really edgelordy. Yeah. And sometimes I can kind of revel in that a little bit, but other times it's just kind of obnoxious. Yeah, it just sounds super misanthropic. It just does not appeal to me at all. Not really. 
Um, this next one I'm actually really interested in uh, with New York, New York, uh, written and illustrated by Marimo Ragawa, in which it's about a police officer named Kane. Uh, while hiding that he's gay, he goes out every night in Manhattan in one of a one-night stand. But when he meets his ideal man, uh, he finds the love of his life. This is an ambitious work which depicts love and humanism with gay themes. And um, I looked up a little bit about this series because the the cover from this looked very... It looked older to me. Yeah, it is from the 90s. It's a, kind of a classic Hanata Yumi title. So this is kind of like a interesting kind of prestige license almost. Because like, this is like a notable series, but it's like an older BL work. You wouldn't really think that it'd be licensed but uh, it is so i mean props for yen for licensing like a older bl title and publishing it but mm, the premise i mean we'll have to i'll have to read it and see like i'm not super here for a story about an nypd <laughs> officer you know yeah uh, and like going out in search of a one night, especially NYPD officer going out in search of a one night stand. Like, oh my God, the abuses of power that suggests just immediately comes. It just makes me very uncomfortable and trepidatious. But again, this is a notable title. It seems to be a classic and I would like to see, well, it, it seems like it's covers some interesting themes. It's an interesting like time and place sort of series. It would definitely be worth checking out. I am very curious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with this being a work from the mid nineties, I'm I'm gonna go into this assuming that there are gonna be things that really don't hold up very well. Probably, um, that's probably unavoidable. But again, I I would like to check this out just in general. I'm I'm sure maybe it could be good. Right. I mean, the fact that this title has a Wikipedia page kind of also speaks that hey, this is probably significant because like this is a notable title that people would write an English Wikipedia page on it. That's pretty rare. So, you know, and it seems like in the context of BL works, like this has been written about academically, it discusses some, you know, pretty serious topics, explores them in interesting ways. So I, I am very curious. I am interested. It's just the premise, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit of a hurdle, but I think... If the content is good, if the story is good, like, yeah, yeah, it could be very interesting. I'm very, very curious. And regardless, I do appreciate Yen for licensing an older BL work like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, even if it turns out that, like, I don't know, if, if neither of us end up liking it or whatever, like, I'm sure it'll still, it'll be worth reading at least, like, historically, academically, whatever you want to call it. it it's, it's worth looking into. An interesting connection to know is also that Mario Morigawa is the author of those Snow White Notes, which has a currently airing anime adaptation that is quite well received. So, oh, okay. You know, she is a very, like, established author whose works people really enjoy. Hmm, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. Baby Me is another work of hers, and that was also previously, like, completely published by Viz. Oh, yeah. Okay. I I know I've seen that title around. Okay. You learn something new every day. I didn't look into it that closely, as you could tell. Oops. Um, but no, yeah, that, that's really interesting to know. And again, I will uh, not to not to give it away, but I think this is probably the one I'm like the most interested in checking out, honestly. Yeah, I think far and away for me as well. Mm -hmm. uh, next up, uh, we have Never Open It, the Taboo Trilogy, a graphic novel from Ken Nimura, uh, which is basically a collection of three stories from Ken Nimura that are rooted in well-known Japanese folktales such as Urashimataro and the Crane Wife. 
uh, with each story delving into the concept of the taboo, asking questions such as, why are these rules meant to be followed? And who and why sets these rules? And so, yeah, I, I think this sounds really cool. I'm already, like, kind of enamored with, like, the cover art, so I might check this out. Yeah, good cover design, and I enjoy the Japanese folk tales and the classic ones, so seeing a reimagining of it, yeah, it sounds like a fun time. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to also a small note that Yen Press will be releasing a physical version of Yuna and Ina's uh, The Abandoned Empress, which is a Korean webcomic. So for anyone who's interested in that, that's coming out. And uh, that's pretty much about it for Yen Press licenses. I was not expecting us to go through them so much, but so, so some of these were interesting enough to talk about, I think. Again, especially with New York, New York, um, that's going to be the one I'm like the most likely to pick up. I guess besides never open it, I'm actually really interested in this too. Yeah, New York, New York, Never Open are definitely the picks that I'm curious to read. And New York, New York, especially, like, I'm interested in reading and checking out seeing the work, especially, like, knowing the author and their previous works, and then, but also that this is a significant work in the context of BL. Like, even though the premise, like, it does give me some pause, like, it, it sounds interesting. I am curious. And then the rest of it, you know, a lot of uh, isekai or fantasy world stuff, not super my bag. Some of these are spinoffs to things that I am interested in, like Jungjin and Spider. Detectives Already Dead could be an interesting story about grief. Uh, so I'm curious about that. I guess I will keep an ear out to see what the Orkiroga thing is like, even though I don't really have any desire to read it. It's only a notable title because of the fact that Asanagi, who is a very, like, well-known hentai artist, is drawing it. But also knowing the kind of work they draw, that also kind of keeps me away. I'm not really interested in that. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, same. Uh, but that's about it for Yen Press licenses, and I think we should go on to some Kodansha stuff. Yeah, Kodansha announced a couple new digital debuts for May. The first one is a little problematic with the Sheik and his harem by Atarin Miyaza coming out May 4th. Basically about a girl who is very obsessed with money because, you know, she needs money to support her family. But she encounters a stranger who's like a Sheik and he like offers her a bunch of riches and Poses to her, and even though she rejects him, like she finds out that marrying him might be the only way to keep her family safe. So, I don't know, this suggests an uncomfortable power dynamic where, like, this girl is being forced into a position where she has to marry this guy. Also, just the fact that this is, like, looking to be, like, a white cheek is, like, super, you know, pretty. Uh, there's some uncomfortable uh, racial baggage, cultural baggage, and the appropriation of, like, chic iconography and, like, Middle Eastern iconography and this, you know? It's, it seems like a whole can of worms in terms of, like, problematic elements in this premise. So, even though, like, the art, Mianza's Mi art, you know, from the cover looks pretty nice uh, you know and also the cover turns me away because she's like clearly not enjoying the embrace of this man who is also it's like this is clearly like some teenager and this guy he looks to be an adult so that's just another element so you know whole whole bunch of red flags for me with this one yeah but moving on we've got springtime of my life began with you by nikki asada this comes out on the 11th 
about a quiet girl who enjoys reading books over, you know, anxieties of friendships and is happy in her own little world until a really popular guy asks her out as part of a punishment game in front of the entire class and... You know, that puts her in an awkward spot and kind of puts her on stage in a way she doesn't like. So she tries to get away, but he persists and he's serious, it seems. So, you know, he's kind of an interruption to her previously quiet life. And yeah, this is another one where it's like uncomfortable that this guy is not only super pushy, but like she is put in this big situation where she is like expected to respond to this guy's proposal in public and then she is like an introvert who is like forced to be pushed out of her comfort zone like again just a whole bunch of things that make me feel like the protagonist is like gonna be a little mistreated that kind of turns me off from it the art again i think asada's art is uh the character design seems pretty nice but the premise little trepidatious based on what i can glean from it next we got medalist from surumaikata this comes out on the 18th now this is interesting this seems to be a story about basically two people who are kind of fending for themselves or like struggling to achieve their dreams and together they kind of team up and they take on the world of ice skating so you know this sounds cool like mentor mentee relationship taking on a world of ice skating yeah like i i think this you know sounds like an interesting enough premise and i think the character designs on the cover are really cool so yeah this actually is probably the one out of these that i'm most interested in reading Next, we got Back When You Call This Devils by Takashi Sano. This comes out on the 25th. And it's about a guy who has six months missing from his memory. And he gets confronted by people who, since they're from his past, and that he did horrible things to them. And so, slowly starting to remember those missing six months. And there are a bunch of skeletons in his closet, and they might make him a skeleton too. So... Like, a little vague and like, what the actual focus of the series is. This is going to be, like, a thriller-esque kind of, like, mystery or suspense horror thing. Or is this going to actually focus on, like, real themes and topics on dealing with memory and, you know, sense of self and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I need to actually read it to see if I'd actually be interested in it. But, you know, it's could have like potentially something quite interesting i think overall though of these digital buttes i'm most curious and most like intrigued to read metalist and yeah i think in general though and as far as variety goes i feel like anansha has done a good job with this selection even if the content of half of them i'm not like super enthusiastic about mm-hmm. i mean i'm probably the most interested in back when you call this devils personally but uh i mean yeah but i i agree uh Kodansha's licenses are always at least they always at least have like a variety, and I, I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Next, we got something from Udon. Basically, the Steins Gate Zero manga. It's going to be released in oversized edition starting September 7th. It's going to be translated by Andrew Hawkson, who translates the visual novels of Steins Gate. So, that's a great choice for translator. Great guy. I think I recommended as a shout out, like the interview with him from the JMTYC before. So, yeah, definitely. Revisit that, find that episode, and that 
a link to that. A great uh, translator. So yeah, like if you're a fan of the 98 franchise, the manga of 90 in very good hands. Look forward to one on edition. And then finally, we got some J Novel Club things. They have a few new light novels they've licensed, and two manga as well related to those light novels. So going in order, we got Reincarnated as the Piggy Duke. This time I'm going to tell her how I feel by Rhythm Ida with illustrations by Naibon. This is about a guy who wakes up as the antagonist of his favorite anime and he needs to use memories of his past knowledge of the future to avoid the worst case scenario and confess his love this time around. So... I guess this is like reincarnated as a villain type story. So I guess the male take on the villainous kind of trend, which, you know, maybe is not really such a new thing. I mean, I guess isn't that overlord basically, you know, it's kind of stories of that type. But yeah. Well, let's see. And then next we have Sidekick Never Gets Girl, let alone the protag's sister. This is by Toshizo with illustrations by U35. Basically about a guy who is a hero in another world, but now he's just an extra in his friend's romantic comedy. But he has a chance encounter with the protagonist, his friend's sister, and that propels him into the limelight. So, a little vague, but it's kind of interesting. It's a reverse isekai thing. Like, this guy who was, like, a hero in his previous world is now, like, now in a romantic comedy. So, that's an interesting, like, twist and take on things. But it's kind of curious. Next, we got Guy to the Perfect Otaku Girlfriend, Movies of Romance. This comes from Rin Murakami, illustrated by Mako Takekawa. About a guy who really wants an otaku girlfriend, not a gyaru. And so he wants to turn this girl into his ideal otaku girlfriend, even though she's not his type at all. But maybe she can help him because, you know, I guess they're going to be living together. So I don't know. It's not super appealing that this guy wants to change this girl to suit, like, his tastes. You know, that doesn't sound very great to me. But, yeah. And then we got Reborn to Master the Blade from Hero Killing to Extraordinary Scarlet female by author Yayaken, with illustrated by Nagu, about a hero king's last wishes to reborn as a warrior, but he's reborn as a girl to a normal family. And even though rejected by Naito, she sets out to be the most extraordinary squire that ever was. So, you know, this is kind of interesting, kind of reincarnated as a reincarnated story. You're kind of not given like the life you wanted, but, you know, you're still going to work your way up there. As well, and you can probably, you know, there's there's some, like, maybe trans femme kind of subtext to the story as well that could be interesting. So, yeah, I'm curious about this one. Next, we got Emperor's Lady Waiting is Wanted as a Bribe by Kanata Satsuki, illustrated by Yoruichige. Basically, about a girl reincarnated with forbidden knowledge about this empire and wants to keep all her distance from everything imperial. But she gets a surprise engagement with a knight from said empire, and that's going to change her life forever. And the manga adaptation has also been licensed by J-Novel. Next, we've got Villainous Reloaded Blowing Away Bad Ends with Modern Weapons by author 616th Special Information Battalion. Which, you know, I think that's a great pen name. <laughs> but illustrations by Wuhyal. And this is about a another reborn as well in this story. And she's trying to avoid the roots that lead to her destruction. But she also is super passionate about military technology. So she wants to create modern weapons. And so her plan to survive all the bad ends is to have superior firepower. So I think that's another fun twist on the reborn as a villainous format formula. So, yeah, you know, 
pretty interesting for him. It's pretty good character design for the lead character based on the covers. And Jane Alco also announced that they have launched, I'll launch a new imprint called Pulp that's going to publish European pulp fiction. Such titles include Perry Rodi Neo uh, by various authors, John Sinclair Demon Counter by Gabriel Conroy, Jason Dark, and Jessica Bannister by Janet Farrell. So these are like not related to manga or, you know, but it's interesting. And Jane Alco is like kind of moving into the realm of like utter foreign fiction and licensing that too so that's pretty cool yeah um i think out of all these villainous reloaded has my attention the most because man the 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 cover for the first light novel in particular looks sick honestly that that looks really cool (laughs) yeah this seems like it'll get an anti-adaption eventually and i think that'd be a fun time it seems but yeah like yeah villainous reloaded i think is my first pick and then i'm also curious about reborn the master of the blade and sidekick never gets a girl because those could have some interesting twists on the usual formulas for these reincarnation stories so yeah pretty decent selection of new licenses now moving on to our industry rounds we got quite a thing but like just to comment off of like oh our discussion of serialization stuff and how well manga is doing and all that kind of stuff yeah i mean first quarter manga sales 2021 according to a new icv2 report uh rose dramatically thanks to manga because manga accounted for 80 percent of graphic novel growth in the u.s this year so far <laughs> and that also helps attribute to a 29% increase in overall print book sales in the United States, which is the highest volume of print book sales in the first quarter since NPD Bootscan began tracking book sales since 2014. So like the highest first quarter sales in 17 years. Woof. And manga is the driver of that. And obviously we've checked back in on like how well Viz and Yen Press is doing. And that just continues to be the case. Like this seems to be... Like, it's going to be a great year for manga sales. Like, it's going to be super curious to follow along with it. Now, obviously, as manga continues to be in hot demand, because you sell, like, pancakes, hotcakes, you know? Obviously, that also means that the efforts of pirates might be incentivized. Because, like, if manga is in demand, you know, that probably might also follow suit. However, you know, obviously... In Japan, like, there's been some actions to take against curbing piracy or, like, defining what constitutes a copyright infringement. Now, one that might be towing the line or overstepping it would be a new ruling that could consider posting manga dialogue without authorization as copyright infringement. Specifically, this case is on a spoiler website. There was a person who posted the entire dialogue of a manga without authorization from January 2020, May 2020. And so the judge ruling on this case stated that this person's actions constituted infringement on copyrights of reproduction and public transmission. And the quarter, the person's information be disclosed to Chikakon. This was for the series King on Omega. And yeah, so the the court ruled that like posting just the dialogue from this manga, not the images from the manga, not the manga itself, just the dialogue, the entirety of that dialogue was copyright infringement. So wholesale copy and dialogue is seemingly something that's going to be something that can be criminalized in terms of could being considered copyright infringement. And that 
could have uh, serious ramifications, like depending on like how far they want to take it, how strictly they want to apply this in the future. It's definitely a situation to keep an eye on, but they are getting pretty aggressive on stamping out piracy in any form it takes, and that does doesn't distinct to just the manga itself now and now it includes like images as we've talked about before and now even dialogue so it's a very curious situation i i don't really know how to feel about them punishing dialogue specifically i i don't know that just that just sounds weird to me yeah i think that's an overreach i don't think that will take away from the intellectual property rights of the copyright holders or whatever i don't think it'll inter- i don't think that interferes with like their uh ability to sell the work or anything like that so this this is not a case where i'm super in agreement with the publishers so again we'll see the implications of this ruling how that plays out now in terms of like big like legal things that have finally kind of reached a consensus or like a compromise breakthrough this is a pretty big one because Big West Studio Noe and Harvey Gold USA have finally kind of put their pissing contest aside and all agreed to finally like cooperate work together uh, to allow for the global distribution of Macross and Robotech the big issue was that you know Big West they had like ties to the franchise and they were like saying they had the rights to make more Macross and sequels to Macross like they challenged Tatsunoko for those rights and the court like ruled in favor of Tatsunoko because they had the rights obviously the ma- they created the franchise they have the rights to the franchise they could license it out to anyone else not just Big West but also to Harmony Gold but that was the big conflict is that like Big West had rights to a bunch of designs from the series and they were in conflict with Harmony Gold over like who has ownership of not just the rights to like make derivative works and across, but also of the Robotech franchise, which interfered with Harmony Gold's plans. Harmony Gold does not care about the anime of uh, Robotech or Macross. What they want is like to make a film of Robotech. Like that's what they've been working on. That's why they've been holding on stubbornly to those rights for so long. But yeah, they've been kind of just litigizing this for. Uh, decades and like yeah even though the, the big problem was like harmony gold had the rights to make the derivative works from across like the designs were owned by big west and like this was just held up because neither side would budge and like like who owns what who has the right to make what and now finally they're like no we're all gonna cooperate and we're going to allow the immediate distribution of across the television series and films we're not going to pose the plans to make an upcoming Robotech film, which I'm sure made Harmony Gold very happy. We're not going to contest Harmony Gold's exclusive license with Tatsunoko for those 41 characters and make designs that we previously claimed ownership for. Uh, yeah, so finally the companies are all cooperating. For a more uh, comprehensive detailed timeline of the events of this story... You can check out the ANN article. That's a good write-up. Justin Sabakis also had a great tread on it and, like, the implications of this and, like, the history of this. So definitely check those out for even more of the story. But, you know, ultimately, the big takeaway of this is that finally these companies, you know, they've stopped being so stubborn and they're finally working together to just let people hopefully watch this franchise. Now... You know, even though they have now all agreed to cooperate, that doesn't necessarily mean, like, Robert, uh, Macross, any Macross is actually going to get 
put out uh, necessarily. Like, you know, now even the though the possibility is now there, like that, if they'll actually do it, that remains to be seen. Like again, I think Harmony Gold's main interest has always been to make a movie, a live action movie, and that's why they want these rights. Have kept these rights, so we'll see what happens. But you know, uh, the fact that Funimation was the one who broke the news, and the fact that there are like some legal uh, rights things that could suggest that if these series were to go anywhere, they go to Funimation. Like you know, I think I would be hopeful, hopeful that stuff will happen and we will hopefully finally get all the installments or most of the installments of Macross franchise that have been kept from us for so long. Yeah, hopefully this is like maybe the hopefully hopefully the start of like some kind of resurgence of Macross here in the US. Yes. I mean, I don't know if they'll have a renaissance, but I mean, again, just the accessibility of it would be great. In terms of other Funimation related things and also another you know, court-related thing. As expected, Funimation has reached a settlement on the class action lawsuit over violating the Americans with Disabilities Act. We would be discussing this before. Usually when lawsuits like these are filed, it is to encourage and force, like, a company to actually, like, kind of, re- you know, to actually do the thing and make the changes they need to do. Um, so it seems like Funimation has settled out of court and we don't really know the full details of that, but hopefully this does uh, lead to improvements in, you know, their website and making it actually accessible for visually impaired people. And so, yeah, I hope that will be the end result of this lawsuit. So, yeah, that would be great if that's the case. So hopefully those positive changes will be made. Now, moving on into our interest stuff and still on the subject of Funimation, they made a big franchise license announcement recently because they have licensed the entirety of the Prince of Tennis franchise, including the upcoming new film. Uh, And when I say the entirety of it, I mean the entirety of it, like the entire original series, the OVAs, the sequels, uh, a bunch of the other films and specials and all of this stuff. There's so much of it. And they're going to planning to offer like all this within the next year. And they're going to dub it. They're going to. Oof. So like they've already released the dub of the game of the future two part OVA. And they're going to like dub this entire franchise, apparently, including like the original series was like. 200-ish episodes like wow there's a lot of prince of tennis that they're going to be dubbing and it's it's surprising because this is an older franchise and he's not that old but it's like you know almost 20 years old at this point and the first attempt at the releasing anime over here by wiz was in like the most successful even though like prince of tennis is a fairly popular franchise like over here in the u.s i didn't think it was like really that big but animation's really going to go all out in like licensing this entire franchise and dubbing this entire franchise and yeah that includes the new film which uh, you know i am interested in seeing if they'll give this a theatrical release and i might see it for the novelty of it obviously the new film cgi film and it's uh it's a bizarre one the premise of this because i guess ryoma goes back in time what yeah it's like (laughs) it's a weird thing it's like there's a tennis gang and then Ryoma (laughs) is like 
interacting with this tennis gang and hits a ball hit thrown at them by a mysterious wheelchair man and when he hits the ball him and the female lead soccer like somehow travel back in time to when Ryoma's father was still playing tennis in America and I guess he's gonna team up with his dad to challenge the tennis gang in the past with like a in tennis and it's not just the fact that it involves time travel but like there's like two versions of this film that is going to be focusing on like different like characters because like in one version there's the one version of the film is going to focus on Tesca, who is of course like the captain of Ryoma's team and stuff and one of the most popular characters and then uh yeah the other version is going to be Keigo Otobe which is like one of the most popular rival characters in the series it's like there's going to be two versions of this film and when scenes are different and Uh because one version is going to be focused on Tesca and one version is going to be focused on Keiko Atome. It's so interesting that this this is a film Prince of Tennis film involving time travel and there's multiple there's alternate versions of it. There are parallel versions. It's so bizarre. It's so crazy. This, this This is not me like dunking on the series or whatever when I say this but like I have, I have, okay, well, that's not true. I, I tried reading Prince of Tennis, like, way back when, when I was in middle school, and I, I don't think, I wasn't really super into it when I tried it. It's something I definitely want to try again, because this, since I've tried to read it and stopped, like, I know it has a huge reputation for being pretty bonkers and crazy, quite honestly, but, like, yeah. all this stuff that you're saying right now just sounds like nonsense to me, and I'm kind of into it. It's so bizarre. I have so much nostalgia for Prince of Tennis. I read the entirety of it back in the day. I watched the anime from this. That's another thing I'm interested in. Like, Viz dubbed those first, the first 50 episodes of the series. And it's still streaming on Hulu right now. I'm wondering when that'll expire. I'm wondering, like, will Funimation's version, home video versions of this, will they offer the Viz dub for those first 50 episodes? Like, I'm curious what's going to happen to that dub. That might become lost media. I might want to, or if you want to still have access to that when it definitely goes off Hulu, you might want to seek out those DVDs for it. But, yeah, uh, I'm curious. I'm curious what'll happen. But, yeah, I mean, man, like, the series is super uh, over top. Like, I mean, everyone knows the meaning of Tezka. His serve is compared to like the meteor that distro- <laughs> that it made the dinosaurs go extinct. You know, oh, there's some God. legendarily over the top stuff like that. Between me and V Lord, like, there's a ton of uh, in jokes and memes about the series, like HE Child of Gods, uh, Pinnacle of Perfection, all this stuff. <laughs> like, uh, I have a ton, you know, just. just Prince of Tennis is so over the top and ridiculous, and you know I just gotta appreciate that it's just so wacky. I know, I know, I say this a lot, but I don't know. Should we cover this on the show at some point? I feel like that'd be pretty worthwhile. You know, I think I'd have fun. I think I'd have fun rereading it. Like you know, again, because it is so, it can get so over the top. There is some good character stuff in it, but there's also, you know, some annoying character stuff in it. Like, I think Ryoma is kind of, like, a very uncompelling 
character for a protagonist like he's like i mean he it's again he's very memeable because he has this catchphrase that is iconic and a meme to me like you still have a ways to go and stuff like that but he's also like a real jerk and <laughs> he's like so such a perfect kind of gary stewart type character but you know yeah that's also kind of the the fun and adds to like kind of the appeal of like how like goofy prince of tennis is like it's it's not i don't feel like i didn't appreciate it. it's like a great series a series for like the a dramatic perspective in terms of like being like a very compelling sports series perspective but like it's, it's like like a bunch of fun stuff uh that happens and crazy stuff that happens like i think it's a fun read so i would be interested in revisiting it yeah i mean i'd just be interested in pretty much just reading it for the first time like i, I know i said I, I tried to get into it like when i was in middle school but like quite honestly like I don't know if I just didn't have the attention span for, like, sports series or, you know, if maybe the writing just didn't compel me. But I think I maybe read, like, one or two volumes and I just – but basically it it just kind of slid off my brain. Like, it just didn't really stick with me. So m- maybe I'll appreciate it more if I, like, go back to it. If, if, if I go back to it, maybe I'll appreciate it more. I don't know. Yeah. At the very least, like, I – I can appreciate why someone might hate the series, but I just think it's just so ridiculous to the point where it can't possibly behave. Well, you can't, you can't hear a premise like this and not think, man, it's just so goofy. Like, just, I can't take this seriously at all. I'm just going to enjoy just the absurdity of it. I I certainly wasn't expecting it. Like, I I can't even believe what you just told me right now. (laughs) I mean, so... You know, talking about, you know, big franchises, talking about, like, new films, you know, let's just get, we have other, like, new films upcoming to talk about, but I think this is a good time as any to transition to one of our bigger stories in terms of, like, big box office success, or, you know, actually, I will say, I'll just cover the new films that are upcoming first and then cap off with the, the Demon Slayer thing in terms of pacing here, but yeah, let's go and just talk about, you know, there's a new Madoka film coming, finally, we're gonna get a sequel to Madoka Magica Rebellion, which is pretty great, finally, like, you know, that big cliffhanger, the kind of downer ending of the franchise is gonna have a continuation, maybe Homura will get some sort of redemption or closure to her character arc at the end, uh, and then the world will actually finally be repaired in a way in which like everyone can live happily without sacrifice you know that'd be great so i I hope like i would i would like to see that be the direction it takes in the next film but yeah i think i'm excited for a new monica film that continues the official story original story and i have fondness for rebellion because that was like one of the first anime films that i saw in theaters like on my own like back yeah when i was like in college, like, just going out to a theater, like, in New York to uh, see it with a bunch of fans. Like, it was a super fun time to just have that experience. That was, like, one of my first experiences doing that. Like, the only other anime film I saw in theaters before that would probably have been Pyramid of Light, like, back when I was a kid. But, oh, man. Yeah, so I have, I have a lot of fondness for Rebellion because it was, like, my first time, like, going to see an anime film on the big screen, like, on my own as an adult. So, yeah, I am looking forward to the next film and seeing it in theaters, especially after so long. Another thing I look forward to seeing in theaters, although I don't know if it will come out here in the U.S. in theaters, is the Penguin Drum compilation film to celebrate its 10th anniversary. And this basically had a kick, a crowdfunding campaign that basically raised all the 
Fonzie Media's three minutes, which, you know, a lot of uh, demand, a lot of enthusiasm for this project. So great. It's great that Ikar will be returning to Penguin Drum and making a film version of the series that you know, I guess will take footage from the show, but it'll add new scenes, maybe recontextualize some things. I'm curious to see, like, if this will be the adolescence of Utina of the Penguin Drum franchise, this film. That is definitely something I am looking forward to. Next, uh, in terms of like, you know, great directors returning and making some, you know, cool new films, Hidekiano, you know, he got a stab at Godzilla. And now he's making Shin Kamen Rider, a new live action film opening in March 2023 for the 50th anniversary of the franchise. And yeah, it's, it's cool. Like this, obviously, Otto, huge fan of Kamen Rider, referenced a lot in his works and stuff, you know. I am very curious to see his take. Like, from a as a huge Colorado fanboy, like, to see what his take on the series would be. It's just so cool that Hano is getting to, like, play with these franchises he was a fan of as a kid. Like, because he's not only did he do the Godzilla film, he's making Ultraman film. Like, he's just playing with all these classic franchises he loved when he was a kid and reimagining them with his own, like, worldview and perspectives and style storytelling. So, I, I think it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to watching it. Yeah, it, it's 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 the dream, really. Like, I'm I'm really happy for Anno, and uh, man, I mean, my enthusiasm for Common Rider, I feel like, has been really like, uh, has really like increased lately because like we're getting so many cool things out of this 50th anniversary, like uh, an anime adaptation of uh, Double in particular. Like, there's there's a lot of cool stuff coming out for Common Rider right now. And I'm just it, there's a lot to be excited for. Mm. And let's cap off. Our film-related news by now talking about how well Demon Slayer Mugen Train did at the Nordic Ring Box Office. This was a long time coming, six months after the Japanese theatrical release, where, again, it did Gangbusters, number one anime film of all time, number one Japanese film of all time, and... It impressed at the Nordic American Box Office. The hype train did arrive, and people did go board it. They were there for it. It did extremely well. On opening day, Friday, the 23rd, it earned $9.5 million, which made it number one at the box office today, beating Mortal Kombat, which earned $9 million. Wow. Now, it is worth noting that that Friday goes does include the Thursday night preview screenings, which are about $3.8 million. So, Damn. if you look at it that way, then, you know, that Mortal Kombat did technically on Friday do more, but the, because of the way grosses are combined in terms of reporting, Demon Slayer did ha- take that number one spot. It does go to show, though, just how in demand Demon Slayer was, how m- well people went to see it, because you know, keep this in mind, Mortal Kombat is in about 3,000 plus theaters. Demon Slayer Mugen Train is only in about 1,600. It's about in half as many theaters, but it is doing just as well as Damn. Mortal Kombat. A film that also reminds you that Warner Brothers have spent a lot of money promoting. They've spent millions of dollars on advertisements on all sorts of channels. Funimation, from our reports, has only spent maybe 100k in advertising for this film. They have <laughs> not done a whole lot. Like, potatoes compared to what Warner Brothers did for Mortal Kombat. They did some TV spots on Adult Swim, and then they had a train in Los Angeles, like painted up with advertisements for the movie. And that's about the extent of the promotional efforts that they really did for the film. 
And so the fact that Demon Slayer did this well, like for a normal movie to do this well, like box office analysts would say, oh, you, uh, they'd have to have spent six to eight million dollars on advertising at least. But Funimation didn't do that. They barely spent anything on advertising. This was all through word of mouth. This is all through just awareness of the Demon Slayer franchise for people to like just go into theaters and seek this out. Like the fact that the audience, like they had to put in the work to seek this out, like that just makes the performance of it all the more incredible. And not only that, like by the time you're listening to this, you'll know the final box of its tally, but like we know the projections right now, even though we're recording this like a little before the weekend is over and like the final results are out. But the projections currently stand for Demon Slayer on this opening weekend to have made $19.5 million. Now, to put that in context, Mortal Kombat, you know, it was really neck and neck with Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat projections for where it was this weekend is $22.5 million. So only $3 million behind Mortal Kombat, which again, twice as many theaters, big tentpole film, more recognizable uh, IP name brand. Like Demon Slayer did almost as well. It earned almost as much. It was neck and neck with Mortal Kombat, despite being in less years, despite being a more niche property relatively, despite not being a big mainstream release comparatively. Like it... It did extremely well in competition Mortal Kombat. And it's also worth noting that both of these performances, like, they exceed what the box office estimates were. In fact, Demon Slayer, going into this weekend, the box office analysts, they kind of projected, oh, it could make $10 million over the weekend. Demon Slayer, with its gross of, like, between $19 million, $20 million, $19.5 million, like, Demon Slayer earned twice as much as those expectations. It surpassed those expectations by 100%. That's insane. That's that it blew away expectations people had for it. And also, if we want to compare this to like the previous like biggest release on this scale, Dragon Ball Super Broly, like with this three day, four day gross of nineteen point five ish million, that surpasses Broly's comparative like three four day gross. Like in Broly's opening weekend of that Friday through Sunday of it of when it came out, that was about nine point eight million. So Demon Slayer made that basically just in its first day. Woof. But also if we compare like the first weekend uh, to, or like these first four days of Demon Slayer, to the first four days of uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly, because Broly opened on a Wednesday. So if we even just account for that, even then Demon Slayer surpassed Broly's growth over that comparative amount of time. And keep in mind, this is during pandemic conditions. This is where the theater capacity has been kneecapped. It's like, at best, you can get half as many people in an auditorium than the normal amount of people you would be able to allow in there. Like, this is even in spite of that. This is in spite of that, in spite of the fact that, you know, Demon Slayer is in half as many theaters as, like, a bigger release film. Like, it is in a little bit more titles than Broly was in, but even so, like, this goes to show the extent of the franchise's popularity, the fact that that translated over here into North American success. Like, this is a big deal. This is a big story. Not only that, like, after just this opening weekend, that that does position Demon Slayer into the top five highest North American anime theatrical releases of all time. It basically unseats Arietti in fifth place, and we don't have a final number strike yet, but by the time we listen to this, it will have outseated Yu-Gi-Oh! Pyramid of Light for fourth place, and it is on track 
based on what these numbers are for opening weekend, uh, it is on track to match or surpass Broly's gross and potentially unseated as the third highest grossing North American theatrical anime release. So Demon Slayer, incredibly successful North American box office. Also worth noting, with these North American grosses and with other international grosses, there's a very good chance in the near future, in the next couple weeks, Demon Slayer will officially earn the title, the position of the number one highest grossing film of 2020 worldwide. Oof. So, you know, Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, again, incredibly successful uh, this is just a really amazing performance, and it is a good harbinger of like, like good uh, opportunities for anime theatrical releases in the future. Like this is showing exhibitors, is showing the industry, hey, there's a market, there's an audience for these films. It's going to be really interesting to see like how that will influence the approach to future theatrical releases of like these bigger franchise films. Like I think the next image film, I think it'll be very interesting to see what kind of release structure it has and how well that it'll do. Especially in a hopefully a post pandemic world. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, just to kind of get my straight thoughts out of the way, you know, we 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 mentioned uh, how much Funimation spent in marketing compared to you know Warner Brothers with Mortal Kombat. Um, it, it's it's interesting that they only spent that much on marketing because like even when my roommate and I like we've been watching stuff on Hulu lately over the past week and like. You know, every once in a while, we'll, during the ad breaks or whatever, we'll see ads for, like, the Demon Slayer movie, which was, like, man, I've never I've never seen that for another anime movie in the past, like, couple of years or so. Like, I've never seen ads on Hulu. Like, I, when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, that's kind of cool. Like, they're really, like, pushing for this movie. Like, I, I kind of wonder how much they have to spend on that in particular, because I, I would imagine... I just kind of assume, like, to advertise for something on as on as big of a streaming service as Hulu, I I just kind of assume like they would have had to spend a bit more on that, like alone. But I don't know. I just thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, like that's another interesting thing when it comes to anime theatrical releases, like kind of low investment on the advertising awareness of it, but high return relatively. So that's like another thing that gets the interest of exhibitors, theater chains, and. Again, like, distributors for these films. Like, oh, like, these films, like, there's an audience for them that's going to come for this. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, just in general, like, I definitely was not expecting Demon Slayer Mugen Train to do this well, uh, considering the, uh, you know, we're still kind of in the pandemic right now, obviously. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, ne I never... I never imagined it was gonna make this much money. I honestly didn't think it was gonna do this well. Like I, I really thought the state of the pandemic here was really gonna hurt it. But wow, we like I couldn't be more wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just pretty amazing. And yeah, it's like this really did surpass all expectations. It just showed like Demon Slayer is like a super popular franchise here in North America. Like people are we're excited for it. I am yeah. I think this was a great showing for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really sad that like I'm I'm just not comfortable going to theaters right now. But like you know, saying that like I'm I'm so sad that I'm not gonna I'm probably not gonna end up seeing this in theaters, unfortunately. But you know, I'm um it and you know just to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, a little preview for what's to come. I mean, I'm I'm really happy that you know you and the rest of the Demon Slayer podcast crew got to see it, and I'm I'm really looking forward to when you guys release the um, release the podcast that you all uh, recorded for the Demon Slayer podcast in particular, and I hope everyone else looks forward to it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a great 
conversation about our experiences and our thoughts on the film. It was, you know, the film is great, obviously. So it was great. I definitely look forward to it. If you're not comfortable seeing it at theater, you know, uh, I mean, hopefully it'll play for about as long as Broly did. So maybe like a month, hopefully. So maybe you'll have a chance if you get vaccinated and feel more comfortable then. But even so, if you're not comfortable going to theaters yet, yeah, wait for it for digital in June and it'll be a good time. Does not disappoint. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I'm waiting for, honestly. Like, uh, like I mentioned on a previous podcast, I'm I'm probably gonna I'm probably just gonna save it for my birthday or something. You know, a, a few days after it comes out digitally, may, maybe make a thing out of it. Um, I might I might even watch those like recap special things that they put up on Funimation because uh, they even they even like dubbed those. Like, it's I don't know if it's rare, but like I, I feel like we don't see licensors like pick up those kinds of things usually unless they were like you know, really getting behind, you know, a particular property. That's just not something I really see too often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, yeah, those compilation films, yeah, they're fun watch, uh, too. But yeah, I mean, that will do it for our checking on the Demon Slayer box office right now. If there's, like, more updates in it in the next month, uh, with the final tally, we'll, I'm sure we'll report on. We'll see, like, just how well it does when its run is over. Uh, but I do expect that it will break that 30 million mark here in North America and I I do think I, I do think it will surpass Broly's North American theatrical run based on like uh, its early numbers here and based on the fact that you know this has so much buzz behind it yeah yeah and I mean obviously when, when we get the chance we'll we'll update you guys on like you know those final numbers or whatever because I'm sure this is not the last time we'll talk about this movie mm-hmm and now we're going to talk about some other new anime stuff that we're excited about. First is that Miki Yoshikawa's Couple of Cuckoos is getting a TV anime 2022. This is a pretty quick turnaround since the series just debuted last year. But obviously, you know, this was a pretty big hit right off the bat. You know, it's already quite popular. And I'm a fan of Yoshikawa's Yamakan and which is So I've been curious about the series, uh, the digital manga has just come out, so I'm looking forward to finally getting around to reading that at some point. But also, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how the anime turns out. Should be a fun time. Another thing that I'm looking forward to enjoying is the next season of Restaurant to Another World. Like, they're making a new season of it. I really enjoyed watching this show back when it came out a few years ago, the first season. It was a great show to watch during dinner time. Just a nice, chill show about, like, these fantasy characters, like, just enjoying, like, kind of modern foods. So, yeah, I'm I think I'm going to enjoy just more of that. And it seems like the entire original cast is returning, though the studio is going to be Silvering instead of OLM this time. Now, in terms of, like, big adaptation news, though, we finally got it. It's been kind of a long time. They kept us waiting for this announcement. But that's right. The next part in the JoJo's Bizarre Adventure is coming. Stone Ocean has dropped. We've got casting for Jolene I. Farouz, and it's so great that she got cast as Jolene because she got into voice acting because she loved JoJo's Bizarre Adventure and she wanted to voice act in the series. So the fact that she gets to be Jolene, the protagonist, the parts is like so great like wow that's awesome so that seems like great casting and it's also yeah i mean i'm looking forward to seeing stone ocean adapted this is probably my favorite jojo's part and jolene's one of my favorite jojo's and poochie's my favorite jojo's villain and uh the story is great uh, it's more jojo's it's like some of the best jojo's ever been some of the craziest and also some of the most compelling so definitely look forward to that when it drops hopefully if not later this year but next year 
Now, that's all really exciting anime news, but uh, there's some news of a project that people are looking forward to that uh, kind of got derailed, and that is the Tokyo Babylon 2021 project that was going to be done by GoHands until basically a bunch of multiple controversies and revelations of plagiarism of the character designs go hands made for this show and how they sold costume designs and a bunch of stuff in creating characters like there is a bunch of uh shady plagiarism going on during the production of the show so they the production committee they basically like canceled the project they took it away from go hands they're going to start fresh with a new studio new production so this has gotten kind of derailed and delayed, but it seems like the production community is kind of interested still in like making this anime, but just like with a different studio. And you know what? That's for the best. Gohan's not a great studio. Pictures <laughs> aside, their animation is awful. So you know, I think this is probably best case scenario. I think we can take them. Hey, thank God, Gohan's is so awful as a studio, it's so uh, creatively bankrupt that they basically just got this project taken away from them by force. Because like, not. Nah. No, we're not trusting you anymore. I genuinely don't understand how Gohans got away with making more than one anime. <laughs> yeah. Well, that does it for anime-related stuff, though. But there's some uh, manga-related, you know, little interesting interest pieces to talk about. You know, some things involving, like, new editions or volumes or whatnot. So let's talk about Saint Seiya getting a new edition called Saint Seiya Final Edition. Which will include Saint Seiya Episode Zero. This comes out in June. This seems cool. Like, you know, a new kind of remastered Saint Seiya manga release. I would like to see, you know, Viz licenses just to, you know, get another stab at it in terms of, you know, releasing it in print and maybe some relettering with translation work. You know, it'd be fun, I think. Yeah. But, you know, interesting new Saint Seiya editions. We'll see, like, what kind of enhancements, changes they'll make. Another interesting thing is that Golgo 13 has tied the Guinness World Record with Kochikami for the most volumes of a single manga series. They both have now 200 volumes, but since Golgo 13 is still ongoing, I think very shortly it will just take that crown for itself just entirely. Yeah, and that professional shows no sign of slowing down. Retirement seems far, far away for him. Now, speaking of celebrating, you know, veteran acclaimed doctors, Moto Hagio, once again, maybe second time will be a charm. She has been nominated for the Eisner Hall of Fame. She was nominated last year, didn't get in, but this year she's been nominated again. Maybe this year will be her year. Maybe she will finally join the ranks of Takahashi Otomo, Kojima, Tezuka, all these classic veteran honors. Uh, pioneers of manga. Hagio definitely deserves it as a pioneer of shoujo and BL and for creating like so many iconic stories like Poe Clan, Debra 11, just to name a few. So hopefully this will be your year. Hopefully she will be inducted. She is definitely very well deserving and I'm looking forward to seeing in July if that will be the case. Now, uh, speaking of, again, celebrating authors, the Toronto Comic Arts Festival is now launching, uh, you know, virtual con this year, and they're hosting Nagata Kabi as a guest at their virtual event. And what's great about this is that, you know, this event is going to be free to the public. You know, basically, you can just like uh, tune into the virtual event and Kabi's panel, and Jocelyn Allen's going to be interpreting, and that seems great because, you know, she's also translating her for works. So, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this panel of Kabi, and yeah, I'm, I'm really 
interested in just seeing like her interact with fans, discuss her works and relationship between her works and uh, her fans and all of that. So yeah, very, very interested. Looking forward to seeing Kabi at CAF. And now we've arrived at our last piece of news. And sadly, we have to do an in-memoriam to a very accomplished creative talent in the anime industry who has passed away, sadly. And that is Osamu Kobayashi, who passed away after battling with kidney cancer for two years at, you know, just the age of 57, far too young. Kobayashi, of course, was a very accomplished director in the anime world, directed, like, a lot of series I really love, like, Beck, Magalona, Dog Squad, like, wonderfully directed, Paradise Kiss, great, and so many other great series, he was also a director on a ton of shows, like, Shippuden, uh, Penny and Sagan Garabell, Gurnlagon, Doro, Lupin, Part 4, and, yeah, it's just, you know, he touched so many anime, he had such an accomplished career, he was just such a great director, great creative person, and, you know, his death was really felt by people in the industry. There were a lot of tributes, memoriams to people paying respects and honoring Osamu Kobayashi, so, yeah, like, it's just such a sad loss, but may he rest in peace and, uh, you know, grateful for, like, a lot of his contributions to the world of anime, the art he helped create, he created, brought to life. So, rest in peace. And that will about do it for the news we're covering on this episode. But the podcast isn't over quite yet, because we still have to talk about the two newest Shonen Jump series. And I think we'll get right into the discussion. Let's jump right into it and get in the game, in my set, a blue spot, and enjoy the sweet new manga, Candy Flurry. Alright, it is that time once again to cover some new jump starts. Uh, we are going to be talking about Blue Box and Candy Flurry. And uh, with us, like we said at the top of the show, is our good friend Sakaki. How's it going, buddy? Everything's great, guys. Good to be on. I'm very excited to have you on, uh, you know, like always. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts on some of these because uh, uh, one of the last times we recorded a podcast together and we offhandedly mentioned that we were going to talk about these, uh, you were very insistent that you come on to talk about uh, Candy Flurry <laughs> <Yes>. in particular. <laughs> yes. I did pretty much pull your arm on that one. <laughs> Man, Spurring Chagaka to talk about Shueisha manga? For shame, Shaka. I know. I know, and I already feel terrible that... Uh, you're, you're, you're cheating on your Shagaka-Khan lover. I already am, because it's like, most of the anime I'm watching this season are from Kodansha, even. Like, I'm watching Two Year Eternity... <laughs> I'm watching Two Year Eternity. I'm watching Mashiro no Oto, or uh, those Snow White notes, and uh, Tokyo Revengers. All Kodansha. God, can 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 you can you imagine reading manga and watching anime from from more than one publisher? <laughs> <laughs> oh man! But uh, I'm I'm actually really excited to talk about these because I'm just gonna not to bury the lead. Um, I really liked both of these, um, more one than the other, but I did generally really liked what I read, and I guess we could just kind of jump into things here and talk about Blue Box first, Lum, if you want to kind of run down a little bit what that series is about in particular. Yeah, Blue Box comes to us by Koji Miura. This is a sports romance manga 
The premise is inside the school's gymnasium. This is a combined junior and senior high school. So there are both junior high students who attend and high school students attend. And they have this big gymnasium that has blue walls. So that's why it's referred to as like the blue box. That's where the series gets its title name. And basically there's enough room in this gymnasium for a bunch of different sports teams to be able to practice concurrently. And so the premise is that our lead character, Taiki, he's on the badminton team. When you're introduced to him, he is a third year in middle school and junior high. And, you know, he goes to practices early every morning, like kind of as he's trying to basically just work alongside the high school badminton team after retiring from his middle school team. And he goes to the practices early every morning, not just because, you know, he wants to participate in those, but because he gets a chance to see the ace of the high school basketball team practice, Chinatsu Kano. And he's very infatuated with her. Like, he has very early premature dreams of, like, thinking about marrying her. But, you know, he has trouble working up the confidence to, like, talk to her, get to know her. Eventually, he does, like, make a move to talk to her just when he notices that she's kind of, like, reading a book and reviewing some basketball stuff. And, like, he thinks she might be cold, so he offers her a scarf. And in that interaction, she does learn his name because his mom wrote his name on his scarf. But he starts to notice that something seems a little off about Chinatsu. Like, she seems a little cold, her body temperature. And then later, it turns out that when he's talking with his mom, and his mom, it was a former member, an alumnus of the high school basketball team, and friends with Chinatsu's mom, who is also an alumnus of the basketball team. And they're talking about Chinatsu because she's in, like, a magazine, a paper. And unfortunately, her parents are moving away, so the worry is that Chinatsu might have to move away, too. And so that's when Taiki puts it together that, oh, no, like, that's why she was talking with the coach. That's why she was feeling cold. And, like, he goes and runs to tell Chinatsu not to give up on her dream of, like, going to nationals. Because he had seen her, like, the year before, after her team had failed to get into nationals, like, her practicing one morning, like, with tears in her eyes. And he tells her this, uh, he told her this earlier, and that kind of rekindled Shinatsu's memories of, oh yeah, I was so motivated, I was going to go to nationals. And so when he goes to confront her about now moving away, she reveals that, you know, because of that previous conversation, she had told her parents that, you know, she doesn't want to move, and she had been struggling with this decision, but Taiki had reminded her, yeah, I really do want to go to nationals. And so instead, she has made an alternative living arrangements, and it turns out she'll be living with Taiki in his house because, you know, uh, their parents are friends, and Taiki's mom offered to host Kinatsu. And so Taiki is just very awkward about having, you know, the girl he likes living with him. But he gets motivated alongside, you know, Chinatsu wanting to go to nationals. He wants to go to nationals as a freshman member of his badminton team, which is very difficult to do. Not very usual, but he's motivated to give it a shot. He ends up telling Chinatsu this and they basically make a promise with each other, exchanging like kind of ties that they tie around their feet. And it's basically a promise that's like, hey, if you work really, really hard, then it'll fall off on its own. So it's kind of just a symbol of their dedication to to both go to nationals together. And yeah, the premise essentially is just a kind of this romance between these two characters as they're also both individually pursuing 
a success in their respective sports teams and wanting to go to nationals. There's a hint of a romantic triangle element because one of the other classmates Taiki has, Hina, who is on the rhythmic gymnastics team, she teases Taiki a lot about his crush on Shinatsu, is kind of a nosy busy body about it and like tries to kind of break the ice uh, for him. But there are moments that seem to indicate that she, even if she doesn't realize it quite yet, might have feelings for Taiki. Because there's a moment at the end of her chapter when she sees Taiki and Chinatsu together where she kind of has a pause. So it could be something, you know, as it's the case with Rom-Com manga, some kind of love triangly, uh, all sorts of polygonally love, tri- love relationship <laughs> angles. But yeah, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, combined romance sports series, more heavily focused on the romance right now, but the characters' motivations are also very sports centric. Like they have these specific sports goals and I would like to see them achieve. And so I, I am looking forward to seeing if the series also, you know, does really well on the sports element as well. But yeah, it's a really great combination of the two and a great refreshing read. A kind we haven't really seen in Jump in a while. It's not very fan service It's not very big on a lot of those typical cliches or gags outside of the, you know, typical premise of like, oh, a guy and a girl living together in the same house. Whoa, so wacky. What a situation. But which is interesting because Witch Watch also is that premise. So it's kind of interesting to have two series in the magazine right now with that same kind of thing. But, you know, it is very cute and sincere and earnest and, uh, yeah, very adorable and infectious. I know I said this on Twitter when uh, Shonen Jump first announced that they picked this up for an English simulpub. But after reading these first three chapters, I genuinely think that this is going to be the spiritual successor to CrossManage. Yeah, no, a lot of people have been comparing it to Kaito stuff. It definitely is like the quality of Blue Flag's art, especially with the expressions that Miura draws. Like there are a lot of Blue Flaggy like expressions, I feel. And I think that, uh, yeah, like, I mean, I, I don't feel thematically it's that similar to Cross Manage's premise of like persevering and doing this thing you love, even though you're not good at it. But it does have still that element of sincerity of like, hey, you got to take your shot and just go for it. You know, you can't give up. So it is very endearing in that way. Mm-hmm. All I these mean, I, blue series, too. I, I like that they're blue flag and blue rocks. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Colton, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, um, I, I specifically mean in that, like, both of these series, I feel like uh, they're, you know, obviously they're both sports series, but also the kind of sports series where, like, Sports series with a heavy romantic focus, yes. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Um, also the kind of series where, like, we, I feel like we probably won't see, like, a lot of games. Like, they'll happen, but, like, they won't be, like, you know, the entire focus of the story. I feel like, obviously speaking, the like, the romance is probably going to be, like, the like the big thing with this series. And, um, you know, I also think it's... Um, I don't know. I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just going to come out and say it. Um, I think I really loved this. Great. Like, I think I, I think I liked this more than I thought I was going to, because I think by the end of chapter one, I was already like really into it, right? The first chapter is super great. Um, but I, I think when it came time for the reveal of, oh, like, you know, these two are going to live together in the same house or whatever. Admittedly, I was already feeling some sort of dread, kind of like, oh man, is this going to like... Is this going to have, like, really shitty, out-of-nowhere fan surface? I was kind of worried about that a little bit. 
But but as I read on, I was actually like genuinely surprised at like how mature it is in that aspect. Yeah, no, it doesn't go for the exploitation. Like these characters are teenagers, so with Taiki specifically, you know, he's a little, you know, he he gets worked up over Chinatsu being around him. He's gonna notice girls. Yeah, you know, he he's attracted to Chinatsu, so he gets worked up about, you know, like, seeing her in certain clothes and then thinking about her using the thing bad as him. But it's not horny or pervy. It's just very earnest, sincere, like, hey, these are the feelings of a teenager in love. And, like, you know, they have some sexuality, some inklings of that that kind of they think about yeah. when they're around their crush, around people they like. I will say, I will say I really like that even as early as chapter one, there is this thing, like, he... When he lends Chinatsu the scarf, instead of thinking like, oh, I can smell her now or something creepy like that. Instead, he's thinking, well, this is kind of like what it, what it's like when a wife ties her husband's tie around his neck. And like, it's just, just something adorable about that. Like, he's already like, even though he hasn't outright said it to her, he's not thinking of even sex. He's thinking of the long game. Like, I want to marry this girl. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, that's the, the sweet and the sincere thing about it. Like, Jackie is very childish in that, like, I like, oh, I want to marry this girl. But that's also what makes it endearing because it is, like, kind of wholesome. Like, that he genuinely, like, loves and wants to spend, like, his life with this girl because he's just so in love and enamored with her. And it's not just for a shallow reason. Like, it's because he's fallen in love with her dedication, with her passion for playing basketball and her motivation to want to succeed and go the distance. Like I, it's a really good hook for the relationship. It's a really good thing, a tread that, you know, compels them together. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like they're feeding really positively off each other, which is something I really like about this series. It isn't, they're not putting one character down to elevate another one. They're, it it really is a good, like mutualistic uh, relationship. Yeah, they're both mutually supporting each other. And that's why I really do want to see games. I want to see their successes in their sports of choice. Like, I don't think we're going to see maybe big, drawn-out games that you would expect in something like Slam Dunk or even Haikyuu. But, like, I do think that there should be a focus on the sports element and showing them, like, succeed in their path to going to nationals and succeeding in their high school sports teams. And, you know, there's been a lot of comparison to, like, other, you know, romance sports series, like, especially the Shoujo variety. A lot of people are feeling like, hey, this reminds me more of Shoujo manga. Like, yeah, you can draw a lot of comparisons to Waiting for Spring, another, like, romance basketball manga that, you know, it puts a lot of emphasis on some romance relations with characters. But it does, you know, show, hey, the games do matter. And this is, like, a huge thing, like, them being there for each other to support them, like, while they're playing and, and their journeys. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that is really important for this series. And I, I I think one thing that has drawn me to it is, and I said this before off mic, but the comparisons to something like uh, Cross Game or Mix, basically anything in Adachi's catalog, um, it's not nearly as self-aware and snarky as like an Adachi work, but it's definitely there where it's like the characters interact with each other with the chosen sport rather than the chosen sport being like the centerpiece of the series. Although one thing I will say that I really like about this besides, you know, just the character interaction. Well, it is the character interactions. It's just the fact that like in the most recent chapter, the one that came out today, 
there was there's it doesn't rely on the room it, it relies on a romantic um on misunderstanding trope but the characters are all very smart like there's not a thing where it's like immediately taiki figures out oh man like his friends figure it out and they tell him and he immediately is like okay geez i i didn't mean to come off like um he didn't want to come off as if like he didn't want uh people to know that shinasu's at his house it's just kind of awkward for him understandably so and then she's not spending like a whole volume sulking or whatever she immediately says oh you seem like you didn't really want people to know that i live with you and it's just that whole thing was settled in one chapter and that already has put it a league ahead of other rom-coms for me because i mean i don't think it's i don't think it's a big secret that I, or maybe it is to people that listen to Manga Mavericks. I do not like sports series or rom coms. <laughs> so the fact that I like this one, the fact that I like this one is a pretty big endorsement. Like the only thing I can kind of tolerate in the sports rom com, uh, genres is Adachi works. So yeah, I'm really charmed by this one. Mm-hmm. That's, that's good to yeah. hear. Um, no, I want to, I want to go back to that a little bit about uh, the misunderstanding that happens in chapter three. Cause that, that's, that's one of my least favorite tropes in like, I guess specifically like rom-coms and jump too. Cause we've seen this kind of thing in like, uh, I remember this was, this was something I, I didn't really like about like, uh, like Nisekoi when I was reading that. And you know, that, that series is still like fun in its own right. And I, and I, I do like some things about that series, even though I got kind of fatigued from it near the end. But like, you know, what one thing that did kind of bother me throughout was was the whole like, you know, the the characters would get in situations where you know these big giant misunderstandings happen, and you know it. I, I mean, I guess I guess just in rom coms in general, I I don't really like that trope because it's like it's play it's played for laughs and it's supposed to be funny, but I. For me personally, I don't find it funny, especially if it's like long and long and drawn out. And in the back of my mind, I'm just kind of thinking like, you know, if you guys just talk about this, we we could we could like get yes. over this and be done with it. Yes, exactly. That's the thing about this is like in this chapter, like Taiki does just talk to Chinasu about the misunderstanding and they clear it up and that's it. Like they act reasonably. Like it isn't willful. It, the misunderstanding isn't escalated by willful ignorance or just selfishness or soberness. Like they act reasonably and kind of like as realistically as you would expect yeah and you know not in a and like maturely for the age there are like they they're teenagers you can cut them some slack for how they behave at times but like it's not like they don't act like so stupidly like just out of ignorance uh, to create a misunderstanding. Like there isn't any contrivance to it. Like it's believable. Like, yeah, I could see why Taiki would act the way he did and want to like keep the fact that Chance is leaving him under wraps. But then I can also understand like why she comes to the thought that she does and why she acts the, the way that she does. And then, yeah, like it makes sense the resolution of it and it gets cleared up and that's that. It's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as you said, it's because they just go straight and talk to each other. And on top of that, too, even though it is a small misunderstanding, it is. I do like that Shinatsu does just kind of say, "Well, even even if it's just that she misunderstood his intention, she just she acts on it. She doesn't get huffy or annoyed. She just says, well. right, no, it's no Sundarinist. She doesn't take it personally. Like she's thinking of it. That's another thing that's great. Is that like it's a great chapter to just reveal a character and show, hey." 
Shinatsu's considerate and she's also like thinking, oh, like I'm recognizing like Tai Chi might like this girl. Like I'm going to try and act in a way that makes like you know, him and this girl comfortable and, you know, kind of back off because they might like each other. You know, it's, it's nice. It shows that, hey, these characters are thoughtful and considerate of each other and each other's feelings and needs. Like, it's great. I like that. Yeah, it's good. Um, something I want to circle back to a little bit. Uh, I I think the moment that really showed me like, okay, this is going to be really good is um, I really like the moment in particular where in, in chapter two, where like, you know, uh, they're, they're kind of like reading jump together for a little bit. And Chinatsu starts telling Taiki like, Oh, like I, I feel like really at home here. Like I feel at ease like, or whatever. Cause obviously she's, she's getting used to like living in someone else's house and being away from her family. Right. And she doesn't know Taiki's family that well. She's only met his parents a few times. So, like, the fact that someone he does know very well in Taiki is there and that he's, you know, kind and considerate of her. Like, she can feel comfortable around him. That means a lot. Yeah. It's like a great bonding scene. Yeah. And I, I also like that that leads to, because uh, obviously Taiki being a teenage boy probably doesn't have too many teenage girls often uh, over often. You know, is all like, oh man, like she, she, she's in a boys' room. Like, what? Why doesn't she like? Why doesn't she see me as a guy or whatever? And like, he, he's so, he's so like fixated on that at first, and then he realizes that's just stupid a way of thinking. It's like not a big deal mm-hmm. to you know just be around a person of your opposite sex in the same home. And then he's like, he, you know, he thinks about oh, Chinatsu is using mad, but then he's like, oh, you know, I'm the one who's getting a little too worked up and being a little silly here. It's not a big deal. So great. They've gotten rid of like this other big cliche that can be really annoying of like, what? Two people say opposite sex in the same house? Whoa. Why, why doesn't she see me as a boy? <laughs> or whatever. Like that that was <laughs> that 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 yeah. like when when that scene happened, I was instantly reminded of uh uh, p- probably one of our favorite series here at Manga Mavericks, Cross Manage, or not Cross Manage, no. uh, Cross Account, where... No, yeah, what the heck? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, because cause with Cross <laughs> Account, like, you know, w- w- one of the many things that I'm sure I don't think either of us liked about that series was because, you know, the main character of that series... You know, all all the girls around him are like so comfortable with them, and that and that should be that should be a good thing. But he sees it as like a oh, well, don't they see me as a man? Like I could like group them whenever I want or whatever. Like that Ugh. that kind of stupid bullshit. I'm really glad that like Taiki is the complete opposite of that asshole. It it just felt it felt refreshing. Yeah, no sexist stupidity here. <laughs> like, no underlying gender essentialism of like, oh, boys will be boys, girls are girls. Oh, there are certain ways they act around each other, blah, blah, blah. No stupid stuff like that here, which I'm glad. That could seem to be a huge problem in shonen romance manga. Yeah, so 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 far, this series is hugely refreshing. And it's, it's just three chapters in, and I, I already really, really enjoy it, and... Kind of like Sakaki, I'm not going to say that I hate, like, rom-coms or anything, but they are, sometimes they are kind of hard for me to get to, especially when it comes to, like, jump rom-coms, too. Those can be kind of hard for me to deal with. But uh, this one, so far, is genuinely really sweet, and I really like the relationship between the two characters, and I want to see how it goes. I want to see them together, even. It's very sweet and nice and cute, and even kind of mature. Absolutely. And that's not... I feel like that's something we can't say about, like, all jump rom-coms, unfortunately. 
Not at all. And yeah, this was a series that from the one shot, there was a lot of hype and anticipation for it to become a series. And it definitely has delivered and lived up to it and those expectations. I think it is going to be an early success for Jump, just because there was a lot of, again, interest and anticipation for it going in uh, overseas and here so yeah i think yeah this is one to watch out for and if you just want like a genuinely sincere romance manga free of a lot of the cliches that can bog down the genre this is a really great pick mm-hmm. i hope this one doesn't end up like cross managed though where it does get canceled like i i hope this one lasts like this is this is one of those series where i genuinely don't know how it's gonna gel with like the jump audience in particular but i i don't i do hope it succeeds yeah, I mean, again, the one shot was extremely well received in Japan. And like the that series had a lot of anticipation before being published mm. from Japanese readers and overseas. So I again, I think this is a series that people were looking forward to getting published and becoming a series. So I think at least early on, we're going to see, you know, a lot of people like glomp to it. And I think, you know, I think it has a good chance for long term longevity. It's very rare that a series has like this much like interest in it before it even starts. Like this is a rare occasion where like people were like hyping the series up before it was being published, like before the first chapter even came out. Mm, that is good to hear. I'm I'm genuinely hoping this one succeeds. Yeah. Yeah. I really hope to see more of this. And I mean, it was trending, all these things like, yeah, it, it, I'm hoping it'll be the next best thing in Jump, honestly, not even just the next best rom-com, but the next best thing. I, I'm, I'm putting it up there on the pedestal. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't, but I am. <laughs> speaking, speaking of putting things on pedestals, we should talk about Candy Flurry, huh, Sakaki? <laughs> Yes, yes. Um, I was really excited about this one for um, not Shogakukan related reasons. Okay, I lied. So Candy Flurry, <laughs> Candy Flurry um, is very similar to a series in Sunday called Ryoko. But before I go into that, um, I guess it would be a good idea to kind of talk about what this Candy Flurry is about. The series is basically about a a Japan where people have candy related powers. And our protagonist, she is our protagonist, uh, Samuki uh, Minase, has the power of, well, basically making a huge lollipop. And then apparently that's the only one person has that in the whole world. Where the uh, conflict comes is that there was a lollipop user that that was one of the major reasons why there was a lollipop user that basically like ransacked a lot of Japan and everything like that. And there are that person and, and basically the candy police are out looking for this person. And um, Samuki is obviously trying to stay under the radar because it's like, yeah, I didn't do it. But if people find out that I have these powers, then they're likely to blame me for it. And I mean, she comes off as a little bit self-centered. But one thing I do like about chapter one is that in little way she shows that like she isn't really because like at the beginning of the chapter uh she's looking for uh cream puffs very similar to another uh jump protagonist that likes those <laughs> honestly there are two there are two jump protagonists right now who are big into cream puffs and now it's the movie makes three so well so so there's there's i know there's mash but who's the other mash sues you from ayakashi triangle ah. and now smoogie cream puffs are pretty good they are they are. So, yeah, I mean, chapter one basically starts off with a flashback of her saying that, you know, lollipops are special. 
you know, she enjoys, she always is happy and when she opens ones up and, and kind of savors it and then eats it. And then, you know, she's left with a stick, just a stick, and she feels a little bit sad about it. But yeah, and then it skips to the present when she's a little bit older and she's kind of like using her looks to get um people to buy her. Well, not necessarily people to buy her, but they see that they're out of cream puffs and she's just like, oh, I'm this cute girl and I wish I could have some people just kind of hand it to her. And I love her reaction on the next page. She's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing I'm cute, you know, and they got me these things. And then, you know, she's attacked by some guy and she pulls out her lollipop and whacks him. And that's the introduction introduction of the sweets police. Um, and one member of theirs is Misaki Midori. And of course they, we were talking about kind of cliches or tropes in manga. And of course the, tr- the trope here is that the very, you know, Misaki, um, yeah, Misaki is transferred in Sumugi's class as a transfer student. And he's super inept at everything. <laughs> it's kind of amazing. <laughs> uh, Misaki kind of suspects that Sumugi has something to do with the lollipop user that they're looking for. And I mean, it, it starts off thinking, it, it starts off like this series is going to be about, oh, well, he, does he know or does he not know? But then as things go on, you can see that he's like super inept. He's <laughs> very dunce. And he's also very earnest and serious. Like, when Sumugi is being kind of, like, tr- confessed to by, like, a Yankee in the hallway, like, you know, he, like, says, hey, stop what you're doing. And he, like, just walks slowly because the school <laughs> rules like, just no running in the hallway. Like, <laughs> he's just very earnest in that way. He really reminds me of um, Subaki from Skep Dance. Yo, that that's true. I was trying to think of what character he reminded me of, and that's like a perfect. Like, <laughs> yes, he is just that kind of guy that has like a stick up his ass. <laughs> like, even when like he confronts the the Yankees or the punks or whatever, and like you know he's part of the police police. If he wanted to, he could probably take them all out easily. But he's like, no regular, you know, regulations say I can't use my force against civilians. And then they're like, oh, well, I mean, you came here to get your ass whooped, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and they do just that. And I mean, it, it's hard. As much as it, it, it's, it comes off like he's really annoying, it's hard to really dislike him because he's so earnest. Yeah, no. He's a good dude. Like, he will stick by what's right. Exactly. And like, he's terrible at school. Like, he gets a zero on their first test. And I, I love the just kind of banter. Not really so much banter, but like, his response to getting zero is like, man, if only I'd study a little bit more. And like, Smoogie's like, no, that really wouldn't help you. <laughs> Not, it, there's no way a little more study would have helped the zero. And then she like helps him out a little bit. And then that's when he reveals that he hates sweets, especially lollipop users. And there you go. That's kind of like obviously setting up the central kind of like antagonistic angle between the two. And, of course, the chapter goes on and uh, Smoogie is attacked by, like, an out-of-control sweets user and Misaki comes to save her. He's injured and everything like that. And then, you know, at first first it's like, okay, he's going to attack, he's going to, you know, defend her even though he's injured and everything and he suspects her of being the lollipop user. The one thing I I will say that I really liked is the fact that I thought for a moment with this chapter that Smoogie was going to go with the angle of just like, I don't have to do anything or I want to keep my normal way of life. And of course she does. But then I like that she kind of snaps out of it immediately and says, no, I'm always thinking about myself. 
And then she reveals that she is a lollipop user before Misaki and takes out the out of control sweets user in a really cool double page spread. And then the chap- first chapter pretty much ends with Misaki saying, you know, why did you reveal yourself? We could have been friends if you didn't do that. And the final page, I just really like how she's like, I just always want to tell to herself, not to him, but to herself. She's like, I've just always wanted to tell somebody this has been I mean, I don't want to I don't want to be one of those, you know, those people that read jump that like uh, attributes like really deep writing to this really like, oh, well, she's been carrying this sin for years and <laughs> she's just like, it's really deep and edgy. And no, I mean, it's, it's pretty, I'm pretty sure the writer and the artist, which I really should have said their names. Story by Ipon Takeguchi and art by Santa Mitarashi. Yes. Thank you. Santa drew this? But I'm sure they're not thinking. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that they're not, they're not necessarily thinking that deeply about it, but I, I kind of like the idea of her just being like, you know, I like sweets. I, 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 I'm the lollipop user. I like sweets and I'm living my life, but it sucks that I have to keep this one aspect of myself secret. And, and I do like that how at the end of the chapter, she's like, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. And in chapter two, I, I was talking to Colton about this off mic is like, I felt like, although chapter one was fine. I felt like definitely chapter two was a huge improvement over it where now Sumugi is on, you know, kind of in this gulf between where, all right, now people will know who I am. And now I have to deal with the fallout of that. And like, even Misaki is kind of like, he's also caught in the middle of this too. Cause he's like, I think he knows that Sumugi isn't just the lollipop, this evil lollipop user. You know, he's seen her both sides. He's seen her other side and knows that, okay, it's more to it than that. And her whole thing, of course, in this chapter, is like, I have to keep, I, you know, Sumugi's uh, like, you know, now I'm on the run and she's kind of lamenting. Why does nobody understand that I, it wasn't me. Candy Flurry is definitely like interesting so far. Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily, like, groundbreaking or anything, but, like, it does have an interesting idea and premise. I do like the idea of, like, powers involving, like, sweets and candy and stuff. I'm I'm a bit of a sweet tooth myself, so I think this appeals to me as well. But um, I think what stood out to me about this series so far is kind of what's going on with Sumugi as far as her character goes, where, you know... Uh, I I do kind of like the arc she goes through where it is she where it is like oh well she realizes like oh well she she might be a little selfish and she is she does kind of think about herself a lot and she does uh she is compelled to kind of take that plunge to help out uh Midori out and I I don't know I I, I also really like the I I, kinda, I think that's emphasized in chapter two a bit too where like you know the the evil macaron guy or whatever appears. Um, so, some, somehow he was able to make macarons look really terrifying. Uh, I don't know how they mm-hmm. did it, but, um, <laughs> I really like that moment where she's like, oh, I should run away. And like, while she's thinking that she sees the scene of like the kid, you know, crying in the middle of a, uh, you know, this war torn area full of like macarons and stuff or, with all this destruction. And you just see that look on her face. Like she knows deep down that she can't just like leave this kid to possibly die or get injured or whatever. I kind of wonder if it's supposed to kind of parallel uh, a little bit to uh, Midori's past and kind of the reason, like, why he became uh, part of the, I guess, what they called the reset, the candy police or yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's the same image of when Midori flashes back to his past and he's also, like, crying in a scene full of destruction. Mm-hmm. Part of me thinks that, like, uh, 
you know, seeing as how like uh, we know what we ha- what happened with Midori in the past, and we saw that little glimpse of his past, like I, it kind of makes me think like, oh well, Sumugi, she's maybe kind of like the hero that he needs or something. I don't know. There's not like a lot to go off on. There's only two chapters, but I don't know. Those are just kind of my stray thoughts. No, I Sumugi is a very compelling character. I think I think she's very interesting because she. She thinks of herself as selfish, but clearly she's not. Like, I think we glean or glossed over it a bit, but, you know, she encounters very early on in the chapter, the first chapter, the pig who might be a dog. It's not, it's either it's a pig who barks like a dog or a dog that looks like a pig. But she sees the pig and she's like, hey, you know, I'm not going to help you, you know, poor you, but like everyone needs to fend for yourself because rain's coming. But then ultimately, you know, we see, no, she left behind that umbrella and she goes back to check out on the pig like after school like she is actually very considerate of her people and we see like in the classroom like when Midori is having trouble like with his idioms in the language course like she helps him out and tutors him like Tsumugi, when she sees someone in need, she will go and reach out to help them besides their help even if her instinct is to be self-centered, she really is not. She is really a very considerate person. And I like in these course of these first two chapters is her like kind of getting the conviction to just openly be upfront. But hey, you know, I do want to help people. Like I do want to help people in need. And I also want to prove to people like, hey, not only that, you know, I am not the one just because of my powers responsible for the destruction that happened, but also, you know, what I she really wants to do is because she loves sweets. Like she, those are really important to her. And she wants people like a lot of people have just come to hate sweets because of all the destruction that's happened. She wants to just prove like, hey, I really like this thing. And I want to show you that this thing is not just uh, like now forced destruction. It is like a really cool thing. Like it's it's something that is like uh, very enjoyable and it can be used for good. And like it's also part of the first chapter. It's like, you know, Midori is saying, hey, I hate uh, sweets. And then she thinks about, hey, you know, lollipops and the best way to enjoy them. Like as Midori is also saying, like, hey, I hate lollipops. They're so big and cumbersome. How can you even eat them? And she's like, thinking, well, you break them apart. And that's like the, the big climax of the chapter is like she you know creates this giant lollipop she bashes the donut guy with it and when Midori comments like why'd you do that she says like hey I want to show you that lollipops are best enjoyed when you break them up like you know I like that she wants to try and kind of rehabilitate this image of the sweets and also uh, try to show why she loves these things why they matter to her and share them with other people mm-hmm um, I do want to ask Sakaki because I, I know you really wanted to talk about this one uh, in particular. What I guess just in general, what what stood out to you about Candy Flurry? Just in general, I would say um, Samugi's character more than anything else is just. I, I guess like with the promo art and everything, obviously it's not too clear what she would be. But I'm really happy with like the trajectory that her character is taking. I'm actually really glad that we recorded this with chapter two out rather than just one, because I definitely would have felt a little bit differently about her if we didn't have the second chapter. And as Lum said, it it is that she does come off as kind of self-centered, but I wouldn't even really call it that. She's just she's very much knows what she wants and she goes for it. 
It's just that sometimes it does come off as a bit like, uh, you know, I'm only worried about other people. But she really does is is caring for for others in the fact that, I mean, she's going out of her way now to show that lollipops aren't this, you know, tool of destruction just because, like, she knows the reputation they have. And even though that's putting her in the eye of the sweets police and the and basically I, I would assume somewhere down the line other sweets users that she still is still going to do this just to prove that, hey, this is a good thing that people can enjoy. And I like that at the end of both chapters, too, that she's she remarks that this is an important step I have to take, because up until now, she's just been kind of like, OK, I'm fine living under the radar. I don't you know, I'll just live my life and nobody has to know that I'm that I use lollipops. But instead, because of her meeting Misaki and realizing that, you know, this is more, it is a bit deeper than that, that she's moving forward. And it's fun to kind of see her developing. Of course, it's kind of hard to say where things will go with only two chapters out. But definitely, her as a main character in Jump, which is very much male-led, you know, male protagonist-led, I would say that this is kind of a good step in the right direction, that she's not just She's the, if for lack of a better way of putting it, she's the protagonist of her story and she takes the reins of that very, you know, very firmly. Absolutely. It's really nice to see. Yeah, it's 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 not one of those things where it's like, you know, like maybe in the promo art, Shueisha would be like, oh, no, she's actually the protagonist. But when you actually read it, it's like, oh, no, Misaki's actually the protagonist. She's just. Nah, yeah. and they're not even co-leads. This isn't even a co-lead situation. Misaki is. Definitely a secondary character. Yeah, yeah. To Sumugi as the main character. Like, she is unequivocally the main character of this story. And this is her arc that this story is focused on, her journey. And that's really nice to see in Jump. It, it really is. And she doesn't fall into a lot of those tropes. I mean, even when you have female leads, they fall into these tropes and everything that isn't too flattering for them. But so far, she hasn't. Yeah, no sexist or gendered nonsense. This is just like a really just personal character arc for this specific character Mm -hmm. oh yeah exactly and i and i like it for that i really do like it is the kind of thing that i would wish that we'd see more in jump i mean i if i had to say right now whether i'd say oh this series will definitely last or won't i'm a little less confident on that versus blue box but we'll see i definitely have hopes that it'll even if it doesn't become like a runaway hit, that it'll at least be able to stick around a while. Yeah, I hope so. Also, I would say the artwork is pretty good, too. Oh, my God. Yes, Midorashi's artwork is amazing. Like, they have a great mastery of perspective. That opening color spread, like, is just so brilliantly drawn with Sumugi, you know, with her giant lollipop about to smack the donut user. And, you know, just, again, the perspective in that two-page spread is so great, but it's also throughout the chapter. Like, Midorashi has a great eye for perspective, eye for like creating great dramatic angles and great posing to sell some really dynamic action. Like this is superbly drawn as an action comic because this guy really knows their perspective. Mm-hmm. Like it is just so impressive. Yeah, that opening spread kind of reminded me of, um, and I'm I'm kind of well, okay, I was I was kind of trying to look back at it, but I don't know the something about it made me think about the first spread of Zipman, but now that I'm, like, looking at it again, it's not really, like, the same at all. But maybe it's the use of perspective or something. I'm not sure, like, the different angles that they use. I don't know what it is about it, but I don't know. That was the first thing I thought of. Yeah, perhaps. I mean, 
with the I think the city is in the background of Zipman one too, right? So that might be kind of a reminiscent thing. Maybe. Um but yeah, no, I um I, I do agree looking back on it, the art is very good. Um I don't know. I'm in this weird place where like I don't know if I like love it so far. I but I, I do like it and I do think I do think there's a lot you could work with here to make it work. Um, I think this is one of those things where, like, even though I like it, I feel like I need to see more of it to really kind of gather my thoughts as we move forward. But so, so far, just as far as first impressions go, I, I do like what I've seen so far, at least. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's where I'm at with it right now. I mean, the whole reason why I wanted to come on, of course, is to compare it to Shonen Sunday's Ryoko by Kaito Mitsuhashi, which unfortunately got canceled after Mitsuhashi was on hiatus for two years. But the premises of both series are pretty similar. Food has destroyed Japan. Um, in Ryoko's case, it was more that they tried doing experimentation on food and it became sentient and then, yeah, just went to town all over the city. And it's got the whole same post-apocalyptic setting, except I, I want to say that Ryoko takes it a little bit more seriously where, like, people are living in, like, camps to save themselves from the food and you have people on the streets like hunting spare like sentient food and everything like that to feed themselves and everything like that so and there's an arc where there's a giant like clamshell like crushing this lady's house slowly you know um and ryoko and her friend zen are there to kind of like i mean she's staying in the house because that's where her sister passed away so she's like protecting the house but she's kind of chained to it and this like giant clamshell is going to crush it at some point. So it's like Ryoko's role in that arc is to kind of break her free from her chains, like metaphoric, uh, li- metaphorically. Yes, that's what I'm looking for. But yeah, Ryoko takes the setting a little bit more seriously, but ultimately they're very similar. I mean, and it's probably because Ryoko takes things more seriously that the tone of the series are is way different. And of course, I mean, we only have two fir- chapters of Candy Flurry to really compare five volumes of Ryoko to. But Ryoko also shares the fact that it has really bombastic artwork. Like, it's amazing to behold just like what Mitsuhashi does, even with sound effects, incorporating, incorporating them with the artwork. It's amazing. Um, Ryoko's case, though, she's... More or less, like, her mother was possibly, like, when the f- the food started invading, um, her mother might have been killed. Like, one of the central mysteries of the series, which unfortunately isn't really addressed due to the series being canceled, is, like, whether her mother's alive or not. And she fills in, you know, with her little brother and father as kind of, like, the mother figure of the family. And she gains strength from just the idea of, like, I want to have a dinner table for my family at home. So, which... I mean, I found that interesting for a shonen manga. I mean, first of all, of course, her being a female protagonist in, well, a shonen manga, though that's not atypical at all for Sunday. Read Sunday. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's not atypical at all for Sunday. But even besides that, most of the times, even most of the, the female protagonists of Sunday are usually, you know, high school girls and... You know, they're, they do what high school girls do. Like, Ryoko, again, is more... I mean, obviously, there's no high school because it's been destroyed by food, but like she's more thinking of a long game where she's like, I'd like to raise a family of my own like my mother raised me. So and I've always really found that interesting on Ryoko's point of view in regard to Ryoko, just because it's like such a mature thing for a shonen protagonist to be like they don't she doesn't necessarily want to be the best. 
she be just becomes strong because what she wants is a family. And the family, the only family she has left, as she finds other characters, they start building into a found family. And, you know, it, it, it's just a very mature look at things. And I guess you could say the overall, like, I won't say message of Ryoko, but the overall tone of Ryoko is like making the best out of a terrible situation. Which, I guess Candy Fleury has a little bit of that. But, yeah, like, again, comparing five volumes to two chapters is a kind of, is a bit disingenuous. But, yeah, that was really why I was really excited about Candy Fleury when it was announced and we found out what the premise would be. And I was really excited for it. If I had to admit I was a little bit let down by chapter one, I mean, it definitely had a potential and to be fair, reading it as if it's like, oh, you know, re- the second coming of Ryoko probably was kind of a bit unfair to it as well. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, once again, I, I do have to say I'm glad that we're recording this now that Chapter 2 is out. Because Chapter 2 is definitely, it's still not Ryoko, and I'm kind of glad it isn't, in all honesty. I'm glad it's doing its own thing. But like, what it's doing for itself in the fact that, I mean, as much as Ryoko's family and her wanting to be, you know, a matriarch of her family is a great story in and of itself, I do like Sumugi's, like, kind of character arc a bit more because it is, like, showing her, herself, having to, you know, deal with the fact that, you know, this, she's, she wants to change the, she wants to change, like, the perception of sweets and, you know, also live herself, live freely as herself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be true to herself, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I do like that story arc a little bit more, and maybe Ryoko would have had a different one that continued. But I do like her story arc a little bit more than Ryoko's. So I'm looking forward to where seeing where this series will go. Yeah, I can definitely uh, interpret a lot of thematic conceptual similarities between the two just by how I've described. And man, I wish Ryoko was ever licensed. So... I could read it. Yeah. Honestly, regardless of whether it's licensed or not, I might want to seek it out and like actually check it out. And I don't know. I I have been kind of toying with the idea of maybe talking about it just because like Sakaki always like has always talked it up like pr- pretty much ever since like the first time we had them on the show. And I've always been kind of interested in checking it out. So it, you never know. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, surely Sakaki, uh, you guys will do a Saturday Night Shoggy on it at some point. Oh, for sure. I mean, like, you know, I, I know we're not too much strangers of talking about this kind of thing. But yeah, I translate the whole series. <laughs> so there's no way I'm going to be on Saturday Night Shoggy and not talk about it as much as possible. And I mean, it's a short read. It's five volumes. So if anybody, if you did want to check it out, it wouldn't take you long. And a lot of it is just action, insanity, like artwork. So it's not even like it's a really long or arduous read. You probably get through it in the afternoon, honestly. Well, I guess we'll see who gets to it first. I don't know. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> but so I, 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 I have to. I'm, I'm just giving you shit when I say this, but I, I, I do appreciate the power move of coming on, coming on the show. You know, uh, to, to t- talking <laughs> this episode specifically, talking about Shonen Jump manga to talk about Sunday manga. I, I appreciate that about you. I mean, hey, you know what? If I can chill Shoggy anywhere I possibly can, then that's my job. That That's like, I have a full-time job, but I consider this to be my my career. <laughs> so, like, I, I have to. And especially with a series like this, it's very, 
I, 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 I'll admit it makes, it's difficult for me to really, when people say, Hey, what's your favorite series in Sunday or period? It's very difficult for me to answer that question, but I can say Ryoko is definitely one of the series that is close to my heart, not just because I translate it, but just because like, it was very special to me art wise, story wise. It was just, I mean, Mitsuhashi being like, it is unfortunate that he got the eye of Shogaku Khan and won in a rookie award. And they even moved him out to Tokyo, I, I'm assuming, with their own kind of funds. They brought him over to Tokyo because they just had so much confidence that he'd be the next big thing. I mean, Ryoko got the cover of the mag- magazine when its first chapter premiered. And to tell you how significant this is, Conan didn't get the cha- the magazine cover when it started. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's considering the fact that and maybe you're thinking, well, Conan was new. Of course it didn't. No, I mean, Aoyama had already done the better Yaiba <laughs> by then. So he was like, and Magic Kaito. So he was a pretty big name by then. But still, Conan did not get to cover its first issue. Even Freerun, who's taking Japan by storm right now, did not get the cover for its first issue. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm. So that's just how much confidence Shogakukan had in Ryoko. And I mean, unfortunately, it didn't pay out for them. But Mitsuhashi's still around. He did a one shot like a couple of issues ago. So hopefully that'll turn into a new series eventually because I would love to see him back. But yeah. But before this turns into like a Ryoko review, um, I guess, what, was there <laughs> was there anything else we wanted to say about Candy Flurry or, you know, just these two series in general before we head out soon or? I really think this was a very strong pair of new series, and I really hope both are successful. I think that, you know, just early buzz-wise, Blue Box seems like it'll be geared up to be a hit, but I'm hoping Candy Flurry will end up being a surprise hit, because I, like... I think the reception to it has been good. I think the premise of it and the creativity of it is really strong. The art is really strong. It looks primed to be a great, you know, kind of action comic with a great protagonist. So I I really want to see both of these series thrive because they both add like a different flavor to Jump's lineup that I think is much needed. Oh, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. Like... Yeah, I mean, even though you Candy Flurry, I could see it coming down the line and becoming kind of a battle manga later. The start has definitely been very refreshing. I'd even go as far as saying that this serialization round, I kind of like it a little bit more than the last one we got, even with Matsui and Matsui and Shinohara coming back. That's fair. So, like, yeah. And that's not to say I don't like their series. I mean, I like I, I will say more. I like Elise of Samurai more than Witch Watch, but they're still both very good series. Elusive Samurai has been super good. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a good reason why it's already a runaway hit. Pun and fully intended. A runaway hit? <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Um, I, I saw what you did there. I, saw, I heard what you I'm did there. I'm pretty sure I've, I've seen around uh, seen around the pipeline that I think it's supposed to be getting the cover for the next issue of Jump. It'll be getting the cover soon, yeah. Yes. Already only 15 chapters, and it's already gotten like two two, three color pages at this point, too. So it's it's an early hit. Yeah, and I, I and I even think it got the cover before even the ass class got yeah. it. Yeah. Like, I think ass class was around seven, chapter 17 or so that it From got? From second hand, I think this is, I've heard this is like the earliest the new series has got on the cover in a good 20-ish years. Oh, wow. 
God. Wow. Yeah, Matsui is like that's that's three that's three fibers. So like <laughs> he don't. <laughs> My guy. Uh, anyway, but th- before this turns into another, you say Matsui review. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, go go read both these series if you haven't already. I think they're. I think we can all agree they're both worth checking out. And um, with that, I think we're going to end this segment, uh, but not before we thank our good friend Sakaki for coming on and uh, once again hijacking Manga Mavericks to talk about Shonen Sunday. <laughs> you have your own podcast to do that now. <laughs> no, I'm, 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 just, I'm just kidding. I'm going to take over all the podcasts. <laughs> Don't worry. Here's just, just Saturday Night Shoggy is going to be the only anime manga related podcast since so I'm coming after you. The Demon no, Slayer I'm podcast kidding. is going to become Saturday Night Shoggy 2. Oversoul is going to become Saturday Night Shoggy 3. <laughs> manga Mavericks is going to become Saturday Night Shoggy 4. So I wanted so forth. <laughs> exactly. I'm, we're just going to It's not going to be like Saturday Night Shoggy. It's going to be all week Shoggy. <laughs> all month Shoggy. <laughs> what? A year of Shoggy. <laughs> <laughs> One shoggy podcast for every day of the week. <laughs> but it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, likewise. Um, but I guess before we go, do you want to go ahead and plug your stuff? Sure. Uh, speaking of shoggy, uh, I am on. Well, first, I should talk about uh, WSS Talkback at WSS Talkback on Twitter and WSS Talkback.blogspot.com on, well, Twitter and the blog and the Twitter. Woo talking is hard um where i talk about well shonen sunday shogaku khan i mean we do a focus on shonen sunday but we try to talk about all things shogaku khan the blog has translations of interviews uh reviews of manga we're a little bit slacking on that but we're hoping to get back on the ball soon um and as always, as I say on every podcast I'm on, please, if you're interested in talking about Shogakukan manga, Shonen Sunday, Seinen stuff, anything. It doesn't have to be a manga that's currently running. It could be a Shogakukan series from years ago that you just love and need to tell somebody about. Even Shonen Sunday anime. We're always looking for guest writers. I always love just talking Shogakukan. I love and I want to boost anybody who talks Shogakukan out there um as well as i write for tanami faithful you should definitely check that out and speaking of saturday night shoggy you can see it at on twitter at sat night shoggy which is pretty much i always hate calling it an associate to wss tv because it really it is and isn't because like that would be minimizing the work that v lord and marion do on it but it's a great extension of it like, if you're just like, I don't want to read, like, all of those threads and all of those blog entries. I just like, just tell me what you, what, what's interesting about it. And you can listen to the podcast. Um, you can also check out the Demon Slayer podcast, as noted. That, too, is by me, Marion, and V-Lord. Uh, as well as the Shaman King pod. Oh, right. You can find a D Slayer podcast and at Shaman King pod for Oversoul, which I also do with Mary. And I, I hang out with those guys way too much. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, we, we're, which is a Shaman King and a Demon Slayer podcast. And those are two things you can definitely check out that I'm on along with Tsunami Faithful. And then on my personal Twitter, which is at Kirobon, which is there's nothing happening. So you can really just avoid that one. Also, speaking of stuff like that, I cannot not pitch this. Of course, another DB pod, which me and Colton talk about everything there is to do with Dragon Ball, animated Dragon Ball, which has been a ton of fun. So you should definitely listen to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just want to jump in real quick and say uh, that's been a lot of fun to do. Uh, we're about 
four, five episodes in if you count episode zero. Basically, every episode of that is on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks at the $3 tier. Uh, basically, the plan for that right now is we're uploading the first few episodes of that podcast on our Patreon exclusively. And then within the next couple of months or so, I do plan on having a public feed for that podcast where basically every time I upload an episode to our Patreon, I'm going to upload uh, an older episode to the main feed just to kind of like alternate between the two or whatever. Um, and obviously, you know, if, if you keep listening to Manga Mavericks, we'll keep you guys updated on when the main feed is out. But just just know that that podcast is on our Patreon exclusively for now. But, uh, you know, if you're not already a patron of ours, I would really suggest signing up and listening to that. It's like Sakaki said, I've been having a lot of fun uh, recording that podcast in general. Uh, we're, we're just about to finish the first arc of the anime. And... Uh, uh, not only that, but we're going to have some really cool guests on for that soon. So, you know, if you're interested in listening to that and you can't wait for us to start uploading it, you know, publicly, um, again, it's on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Um, but I guess was that about it for all your stuff, Sakaki? Yes, that, that's it. That's all I got. All right. Well, uh, I guess uh, we're just going to get on right into the community shout outs. Love, I think we should get out of here. Mm hmm. Let's uh, jump in. We gotta get in the game because there's some sweet shout-outs to give. Once again to Sakaki for joining us to discuss Blue Box and Candy Flurry. These are a really interesting new series, really fun new series, and you know, I think this is a great round, and these are definitely like, yeah, I am appreciating Jump has really decided to publish some really interesting things that are kind of difficult for different from the norm of what we usually come to expect in terms of the genres and terms of subjects. Like, yeah, I, these are fun, really good two new tiles. Like, rare that I'm, like, equally enthused by both of them. <laughs> and, yeah, I, that about does it for the show as well, but I do have a few shout-outs to recommend. Obviously, we talked a lot about Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, on this episode, and I did uh, record with the DSP crew uh, episode on the film. That might take a bit to come out because there were a lot of people on, and it was a little bit long so it might not be out by the time you're looking at this however if you you know want some other pieces on the film first i gotta recommend the new york times piece that our we lord was quoted in like they reached out to v lord and they got a quote on his thoughts on the film and they only really use like one quote of his like i know that they talked with we lord about way more but it's still super cool like we lord got quoted in this article and Basically, the article is going over, like, Demon Slayer describing what it is, like, why it's probably a good idea to 
have not just the theater for it, but also like cultural inspirations, like other pop culture media that it's inspires Demon Slayer. And you can kind of see as inspirations for the film. So it's a good article uh, and introduction to the movie, to the story from the perspective of someone who might not be aware of the franchise or really aware uh, entrenched in anime in general. For a review of the movie from, you know, a fan's perspective and someone who like really appreciated the themes and just the production and the majesty and and creation of it i definitely read kate's uh review on but wide out for the film like i know she was really really enthusiastic and really loved the film and the experience of watching it and like her review is super great it touches on a lot of the great themes a lot of the great like things that make the film so incredible to watch including the animation the fights and you know just the fact that this is a film that it's telling a story that like really does mean a whole lot to the characters and their journey, which is uh, so rare for you know a lot of anime films based on franchises. So I know Kate has also expressed interest in like honing in and like uh, on a piece that will explore like the how the film and how the story like looks at grief and uh addressing and dealing with grief and coping and moving on from it i'm super excited and curious to read that piece when it comes out i definitely will recommend it when it does but yeah definitely check out kate's review for like like one of the best reviews of the film that i've read in terms of like covering a lot of bases but i also enjoyed Chris stuckman's review of the film and chris stuckman is like among my favorite like mainstream uh movie reviewers like for someone with a big following it's just really great that he's also like a big anime fan so we can talk about these anime movies from an anime fan perspective and of course he was a fan of these since they're going into the film so like yeah it was like great to get his thoughts on the movie and you know his perceptions of it, what he enjoyed about it. And so I think that's also a really great review, especially because it also is even more spoiler-free, even more, like, kind of general in terms of, like, describing the movie, but also still gets across, like, what makes it so appealing and so enjoyable and worthwhile and a great watch for fans and just for people who want to check it out. So definitely check that out. And I also want to shout out a few podcasts now. Now I want to shout out Deal with the Devils, the new podcast by James and Derek from the Dr. Stone, uh, Kicking Stones podcast, going through iShield 21, covering volume month by month. It's a great show so far. First episode's out covering the first volume. Like, they have some great... Uh, thoughts on the characters and the series so definitely check out if you're actually trying one fan like it's definitely like great to see a podcast covering the series and i'm definitely hoping to follow along with their podcast and you know hopefully follow along to read through the monk to its conclusion because i've started it i've gotten pretty far into it at some point but i never end up finishing it so you know following on their podcast hopefully would be a great way to do that so definitely go support their uh, show if you're actually 21 fan or interested in actually 21 in general in addition to that i will also recommend ellie our good friend previous guest on the show black and spoko's tread on actually 21 she's been rereading the series and kind of sharing her thoughts on it and like what you know they like about it uh character insights like thoughts on the action the the paneling of marana's art so definitely read that it's also a really great comprehensive like look at what makes i 21 work really well both on a character and art level mm-hmm. i just want to say just going back to deal with the devils real quick uh i also listened to the first podcast and i i thought it was pretty good too I've kind of dipped in and out of Ellie's thread, admittedly. Uh, I need to go back and actually, like, 
read through most of it. But from what I kind of seen, it's 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 been a really good thread. Um, obviously, I if, if I haven't said it enough, I'm a huge Aisho 21 fan. It's one of my favorite comics of all time. Uh, we need to do an episode on it at some point. Uh, when I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, I, I might be on an episode of Deal with the Devil soon. Uh, I've nice. kind of reached out and. Uh, Hopefully, I'll get to talk about Volume 3 in particular. I think we're still kind of planning that. But, uh, yeah, you might hear me on that show at some point. So maybe look out for that. But, yeah, like Lum said, if you're a fan of Shield 21 or if you're just kind of getting into it, I think it'll be a good, like, companion piece for, you know, while you're reading it. Uh, certainly kind of giving me an excuse to kind of reread it because I, I haven't read it probably in, like, a decade. I need to actually, like, reread it at some point. But, yeah. Seal of approval from from a huge Ice Shield 21 fan such as myself. Mm-hmm. Speaking of treads I want to recommend, though, I definitely want to shout out Maxi's recent tread on going through basically as many manga magazines being published in Japan as possible and just describing, like, succinctly like what is the ethos of these magazines like what are their characteristics and their style of like titles they publish and some of their notable works like it's a really great comprehensive thread that like very kind of pinpointedly just isolates like hey this is what makes each of these manga magazines unique this is the culture that they foster this is why what distinguishes them from each other and why that's important. I just think it's such a great tread because oftentimes people don't have an awareness of the distinctions between the magazines and why they have, and the fact that they do have different cultures, they do have different vibes to them. So I really appreciate Max's treads. So, so great. Definitely check that out. If you want like a comprehensive overview, a bunch of manga magazines and, you know, we did have a plan to do, like, a podcast covering manga magazines at some point. So this would be a great springboard for that in the future as well. So, yeah, look yeah, look forward to that, but also definitely check out Maxi's Tread. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, uh, just to kind of pull the curtain back a little bit, um, this basically came about because, uh, basically from hanging out in uh, in Grant's, like, uh, own Discord server or whatever, specifically, like, the comics uh, I guess sub discord. I don't know what they would call it. Um, and, uh, Joey actually like added both me and Maxi because someone was asking about like, uh, basically asking for an overview of like different magazines. And I mean, like, look, Maxi did a way better job than I ever could have. Like, I basically was like, Hey, you you know, if you want to check out different titles, like you could check out titles from like these two different publishers. They have a lot of different titles out or whatever. Like I, I gave the most base, like, advice or whatever so maxi really like went above and beyond and i really have to like give it to them because mm-hmm. you know they, they again they did a way better job than like i ever could have and like you know just in just in general if you're not following maxi for some reason after hearing them on the show for so long or whatever like you really should and again just to continue the maxi love fest and make make them cry on the bus even more um you know, I'm really proud of Maxi because I I checked it this morning and like that thread seems to like have really taken off. Like, you know, a lot of people are paying attention to it and it's really getting passed around. And I'm I'm happy for Maxi. You know, they always do great work and we love talking to them and you know we love having them on the show and promoting their work. Uh, even when they're not on the show, we continue to promote their work. So again, if, if there's if there's anybody online that you're gonna follow. I, I would put Maxi among that list of people. Like, please go, please go follow them. You know, 
and check out their stuff. And yeah, we we love you, Maxi, if you're listening. Yeah, absolutely. Like, Velas are glad that Tread is getting traction and getting spread out there. Yeah, definitely please check that out. On the subject of podcasts I want to recommend, I also want to shout out Cartoons That Curse, which yes. is a new podcast hosted by uh, Tariq. And like, it's who I've recommended a lot of videos of theirs on the, the show before. And it's great. Like, it's basically kind of a spiritual successor to the deep end, which sadly is like gone and retired now. But yeah, it's like going to go through adult animated cartoons a season at a time every week. They've been working through future on, but a time that this podcast has come out, they probably have finished their coverage of the Fox run of future on. So they probably move on to their next show after that. But you know, these episodes so far have been really great. Like, Obviously, starting out with Futurama, like, uh, Bodie McCall is, like, super huge fans of the series, and they have a lot of great insights and analysis of the show, episode by episode. Like, a really fun time, really enjoying it, and especially, like, was a great listen uh, for me, because I finished a rewatch of Futurama just earlier this year, so these episodes were all fresh in my mind for, like, just hearing them talk about them and hearing their perspective on them. So yeah, like definitely check out that show. If you've been kind of missing like the deep end and discussions of uh, adult animation on podcasts and you want something that fits that void, like this really fills it and then some. Oh yeah, uh, good, good show. I definitely listened to it from episode one because I really enjoyed Toonrific Tariq's content as well. He makes amazing videos, quite honestly, and I always look forward to them. I mean, I mean I'm even a patron now, not, not to brag too much because I, I just like his work that much. Mm-hmm. And I'd also, you know, speaking of podcasts that cover cartoons of all sorts and kinds, you know, I really liked, I've recommended, we've recommended a lot of cartoons so many times in the show before, but their recent episode, really good. Oh, yeah. Really good history of the show. And, you know, honestly, talk about some things that I didn't even know about, like, some of the background of uh, Oba in particular, and, like, kind of some of the origins of that note. So that was even a surprise. But, yeah, like, you know, really good history of uh, the show, the series, the creators, and then this analysis of the show, like, their analysis of Light's character, of how the show is directed, super on point. Really great episode. Like, if you're a fan of Death Note and you want to hear some really great analysis and an overview of it, like, it was a really great listen. I'm sad that what a cartoon, like, they recently announced that they're going to be restricting the amount of uh, episodes they're doing to, like, twice a month starting in July, and they're not taking fan requests anymore. So that's kind of sad, but, like, you know, they, they produce some really great podcasts. So just, I would recommend, again, what a cartoon in general, because, like, it's such a great podcast in terms of the research they do, in terms of providing this overview of, like, how a show came to be. And also their analysis of those shows and, like, how they've been written, how they're, like, produced. And, yeah, it's just a really, really excellent podcast. Like, one of my just absolute favorite podcasts to listen to in terms of, like, discussing cartoons and animation. So, you know, every episode of theirs is just great. But, you know, if you're an anime fan, you should definitely listen to them. Because, again, like, you know, they do their research. They, and they do a really great job of being comprehensive. Yeah, yeah. Um, I really want to second the shout-out for the Death Note podcast in particular. Because uh, I thought it was a really good, like, actual spoiler-free discussion as well. They don't really give any, like, big stuff away, which I really appreciated. So, like, I feel like anyone can listen to it. And, um you know, th- listening to their Death Note discussion, it's it's really funny because like wh- when I heard they were gonna do their uh, do an episode on Death Note, I actually re-listened to our Death Note discussion as well, 
um, just to kind of prime myself a bit. And, like, they they brought up things that, like, I don't think we brought up in our discussion that made me think, like, oh, wow, I never really, like, seen certain aspects of the show through this perspective. And, like, oh, wow, that makes sense. Like, they brought up stuff that, like, I don't think we brought up, and that's really cool. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good episode. I really love it when they cover anime in particular. And... You know, I, I am a little sad that, like, they have to scale back their production on that podcast a bit. But, you know, they also do, like, so many other podcasts that, like, you know, um, I'm, I'm fine with it in particular. Like, they do so much stuff that, like, I think it'll I think it'll make up for those gaps. Um, yeah. If you're a fan of those, you're not wanting for content. They produce a lot. No, yeah. I'm also really looking forward to when they eventually do, like, put out their Shrek podcast. I'm actually really looking forward to listening to that on their uh on their ten dollar tier, in particular, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think my last shout out for this time will be the latest UI Yersiatra zine. Basically, a bunch of artists collaborate every year to make a zine paying tribute to Yersiatra. This year's zine is out. There's some really great pieces in there. Definitely check it out. Like, if you're a fan of Yusuke Yatsar, just want to see some great art paying tribute to the series. Like, one of these days, like, I guess I missed the call to submit entries this year, but one of these days, I'll make sure to get mine in. But yeah, like, I really appreciate just so many of these pieces. And liked a lot of seeing a love for Ron in particular, but yeah, there are a lot of really great pieces in this one. So yeah, check it out. But that is our final shout out because I know there was something that you wanted to mention in particular that was a lot of fun. Yeah, um, this is just kind of a fun thing that happened that just exists, and I really appreciate the existence of it. Um, and I, I made sure to look up uh, who commissioned them for this, but um, uh, Twitter user ChefLuBu underscore ATL found Gilbert Gottfried on a Cameo, which is basically a site where different uh, actors and voice actors especially like uh, – they they offer like different like messages and readings for people like i know i see a lot of actors do like birthday messages for people and stuff and you pay them for them and, and such but uh chef lubu basically commissioned gilbert gottfried on cameo to to recite the entire one piece for kids rap mm-hmm. um which is pretty amazing and not only that but kaiser neko bless his heart um makes some probably some of the best like uh edits on on twitter quite honestly We've we've mentioned them before, um, obviously from Team Four Star and everything, but uh, uh, they they basically took that audio and basically edited it like to sound like the actual Four Kids One Piece rap li- with the music and everything. It's it's so good. I just found it this morning, and uh, if you haven't seen it, obviously we'll link it in the show notes. But like it's it's amazing. Like it it just goes to show if you if you pay Go- Gilbert Gottfried enough, he'll probably read anything. <laughs> Um, it's, it's, it's so great. Bless his heart. Yeah, it was so fun. And I'm so appreciative of Kaiser Neko's edit because that was a great listen. So yeah, check that out. Uh, like that was, that was such a treat. That was such a joy to have in the, the community and be sure on Twitter. Like, you know, we all have our missing things about the poor kids that one piece, but you know, that rap, you know, it is a fun meme, a fun treasure. It's so fun to see, like, a, you know, a great actor from our childhood, Gabriel Godfrey, like, give his own take and, like, stumble over the words <laughs> in very funny ways. Just made it better. Oh, yeah. No, actually, uh, I just realized I do have one last shout out. I thought I shouted this out before, so I didn't mention it, but then I checked and I was like, I haven't yet. 
So I just briefly, I do want to also recommend, you know, we talked about Blue Box in this podcast and the series, but I do want to recommend uh, Taser Lad's videos on Blue Box, both the original one shot back uh, last summer when he covered it shortly after he came out. And also he made a follow up video recently up covering the new series and comparing the two. They're really great videos uh, comparing, like, Blue Box transition from one shot to the serialization. And again, like, the potential Blue Box has to be, like, a really great different kind of sports romance series. So, yeah, definitely want to sh- give that a shout out to check those out. Mm-hmm. You know, actually, right when you uh, mentioned that last shout out, I was actually going to mention in, in lieu of the Gilbert Gop read for kids One Piece rap. The, the One Piece podcast actually just recently unlocked their first episode of their patron exclusive podcast forced to watch one piece where uh steve and alex in particular are going through all of, like the entirety of the four kids one piece dub so if, if you're not already like a patron of the one piece podcast and you haven't listened to that show yet again first episodes unlocked uh i thought it was good i really need to like start listening to that soon at some point there i think they have like 10 episodes out already at the time of this recording available on their patreon so uh, again, if you're interested in listening about the four kids One Piece dub in particular, like, you know, there's that. You should go listen to it. I mean, just just in general, like, I, I kind of miss listening to Steve and Alex doing podcasts because, like, you know, when I listened to the One Piece podcast a little more frequently back in the day, like, I was always a fan of, like, their 20 Minutes of BS podcast. And, like, I, re- like, I really love listening to Steve and Alex, like, doing podcasts in general. Uh, they obviously have very great chemistry. They're both very good friends and... You know, I, I just love anything they do. So if you, have, if you haven't checked it out and you have any interest in it, like, go check it out. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to checking out uh, their preview, the first episode, now that they've released that publicly. And yeah, I would definitely look forward to listening through the rest of their journeys through the, the four kids one piece and the crazy edits uh, and changes they made futilely in vain and frustratingly i have so much nostalgia for specifically like the alabasta arc of that dub because i watched that every week when it was on toonami man i was just so confused in the arlong arc when in the show in the four kids dub they say oh Belmere, we've gonna lock her in a dungeon and i thought <laughs> and i was watching the show and i was waiting okay well once they beat arlong they'll free her from the dungeon no i really like her that doesn't happen i'm like wait what and then i read the manga and i was like wait a minute Belmere died what Huh? <laughs> and and then uh, and then the the infamous uh, rubber knife that Nami uses on Usopp. <laughs> oh my god! And just like uh just how sweaty they are adding in dialogue to kind of to kind of write around what actually happened. Like man, oh man, it's a funny memory. Toei should never have forced four kids to do that. Like they didn't want it. They they got it as part of a package deal. Oh, and did they, they like, really? Oh, no, yeah, like they didn't seek out One Piece. It's like they wanted oh, to wow. get like uh, something else, and then Toei was like, "Hey, can you take One Piece?" It's like, "Oh, uh, uh-huh. okay, yeah." At least that's what I heard. So, like, yeah, man. Mm, that's that's interesting. If true, I wow, huh? I had no idea. That's pretty interesting. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Mm-hmm. C- c- considering the hack job they did on it for most of its run. Oh yeah. All right, but I think that's about it for community shoutouts. Yes, that about does it. So I think we can wrap up the show now. Mm-hmm. Um, do we want to talk a little bit about what people can expect on the podcast next time, or do we want to save that? Well, I think our next episode is our interview with Matt Hosh, a Starfruit 
books where we discussed, you know, the origins of the publisher, like how we got it off the ground, like some of the early successes with and learning curves so far. And then we dovetailed into a review of probably one of their most significant popular titles, Pop Life of Anamakuta. And we had a great discussion on that and discussing the themes. Well, like I spent like, I think 10 minutes uninterrupted just discussing the themes of the series. And you can also <laughs> read uh, more of my thoughts about those in the review I wrote of the second volume as well. So it went up there. But yeah, it was a great discussion. I love reading Pop Life. I love talking with Matt about several books and like the titles they have been publishing. Like, they're a great publisher, publishing a lot of eclectic, interesting stuff. Looking forward to reading more works of theirs. Looking forward to having Matt back on in the future to discuss more interesting manga as well. And, yeah, I mean, if you've been a patron, you have been able to listen to this for about a little over a month now, I think. But, yes, uh, we're going to be releasing it uh, for everyone next week and just a few weeks ahead of uh, the publisher Starfruit Books' first year anniversary, too. So, good timing there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, also stay tuned uh, when that episode comes out. We, we might have a little contest running for when that podcast comes up. Uh, there'll be more details for that when we release that episode. We'll probably talk about it at the top of the show so you guys know. So just uh, more details on that to come. You, you might have a chance to win some free copies of Pop Life probably. Uh, look forward to that. Indeed. Um, but yeah, look forward to that episode. Uh, again, like Lum said, if you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash you could have listened to this a whole month ahead of time. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess just to get into all that, um, I guess, Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lormayasha on Twitter and Summer and Show, a variety of places like Amish Revelation and Analyst, Reuters of Lormayasha. That's you can find me. You can read my manga reviews on all-comma.com. I've got a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out. Look forward to more on there. And, yeah, it's where also you can find all the other podcasts that I do, including my resident movies, where we primarily talk about anime movies, and hashtag Lum Squad, which is the Yurusi Outstar Focus podcast I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimara, where we discuss the wonderful wacky world of Yurugarashi's Yurusi Outstar. I've been going through the manga, covering Viz's new omnibus releases, and now that we've caught up to those, you're going to be covering the movies now that they're on Country Ball, and that's going to be really exciting. Looking forward to those. So if you love works of Yurugarashi, love definitely listen to our podcast we've been having a really fun time having a blast covering the series and some of our favorite stories and you know having good conversation about things that do hold up extremely well things that might not hold well but are still interesting to talk about like great conversations that we had on there you can follow that on twitter at lum underscore squad and that's also available on every podcast platform you can think of. It's also available as part of the Manga Max feed, as is Manga Max at Movies. So basically, all the other related stuff I do is also posted in this feed, as we'll get to do where we can find this podcast uh, in a little bit. But yeah, as well, uh, you can, if you like the art that I do, that I make for the show, all the podcasts that I am participating in, you can follow me on Instagram at SidArtWorks. And yeah, that's about it. All right, but as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. Uh, I also, you know, produce and host a few other podcasts on the side uh, besides this one, which you can find links to over at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. I have a page dedicated with links to whatever podcast I'm recording, uh, including stuff like One Podcast Prevails, a Detective Conan slash Case Closed podcast, uh, Just a Gintama podcast, a podcast about Gintama, uh, and b- basically anything else over at the uh, SSA network. Um, and yeah, th- th- again, that's where you can find whatever podcast I'm doing. Again, at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. 
Uh, but as for Manga Mavericks and everything related to our podcast, you can find every episode of the Manga Mavericks podcast over at allcomic.coms, where we post every episode first. Again, unless you are a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, we're at the $2 tier in particular. Um, again, just like we mentioned, our pop live episode with Matt Posh is coming up. But uh, if if you're if you were a patron of ours, you could have listened to this episode a whole month ahead of time. Uh, that's how early sometimes we put up these podcasts. Um, I mean, just in general, like we we've been putting up a lot of early editions of our different podcasts lately. Not just with Manga Mavericks, but like with Lum just mentioned, different episodes of a Lum Squad have been coming out early as well. We've also put up an early edition of our podcast coming up where we talk with Joey Weiser about Speed Racer, the original Speed Racer manga, as well as his new comic Dragon Racer. Uh, that'll be coming up hopefully within like the next month or so on the main feed. But you can listen to that right now for just $2. Again, at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Again, we have a lot of really cool uh, early editions of our podcast up right now that you can listen to. Or if you want even more content, you want some uh, some actual like new bonus content, uh, you can sign up for a $5 tier where we upload at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, we are currently doing a uh, kind of a mini series called the Manga Mavericks Book Club, where we review and talk about different uh, manga that we may have talked about on the Manga Mavericks podcast proper, but a little more in depth, volume by volume. Right now, we are nearing the completion of our Saint Seiya read through, the original Saint Seiya manga from Masumi Kurumada. I am recording about that and reading it uh, basically 100% blind with my good friend, Doctor, again, from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network. It's been really fun. We're getting to the end of that almost, but, you know, don't worry. We have plenty of bonus content coming up. We have so many ideas uh, for the rest of the year here, for sure, that uh, you could look forward to. Uh, and you can, again, you could find all this and more at the $5 tier on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. As we mentioned at the top of the show, it is really the best way to support us and everything we do here. Keeps the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. So any support you're able to throw us uh, our way, we really appreciate. And we'll even give you a shout out at the, uh, at the beginning of, uh, of the podcast. But basically, if you, you know, if you sign up for any amount, you'll get, you'll uh, guarantee get a shout out on our podcast. But so... You know, you should support us. Again, patreon.com slash manga mavericks. And then as for the rest of the podcast stuff here, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow manga mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on uh, Tumblr at manga mavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks for all, uh, basically for different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks. Email us anything at manga mavericks at gmail.com. Uh, what are your thoughts on some of the news we talked about in this episode? Uh, what do you think of the first few chapters of Blue Box and Candy Flurry? You know, uh, any thoughts on like whatever manga we talk about on the show? You want to tell us about anything you're reading? What do you want to hear us cover on the show? You know, just email us anything about manga or the podcast. Email us about whatever. We'll read it on the show. Again, uh, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on a lot of different platforms, but especially on Apple Podcasts. We would really appreciate it if you leave us a rating and a review. Um, it really helps the visibility of our show, helps us get to more listeners, and we just appreciate the feedback in general. We take your guys' feedback very seriously, and we want to use it to make the show even better. So please go do that if you have the time. 
Um, but that is going to be about it for this podcast. Uh, this has been episode 157 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. We will see you guys next time for episode 158. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.